Tank Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll explore computer viruses or malware on the Mac with Kirk McElhern. We'll also hear from Michael Cohen of Tidbits and Take Control Books on the antitrust lawsuit against Apple and ebook publishers, and also Dan Frakes from Macworld. All this and more on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah! You know, before we actually start the interviews. Kirk and I or any of the guests will have a bit of chatter, but I decided I'm not going to repeat what the chatter was about today. Well, you didn't give me much chance to chatter. You monopolized all the chatter today. That's true. And I said things that cannot be said on radio. Yes. Some of those seven words. Yeah. Actually, he knows that when it comes to radio and when it comes to writing, as a matter of fact, I never use those seven words. Well, I don't use those seven words in my writing, at least the writing that I signed my name to, but yeah. <laughs> there you go again. There's an article in Macworld over at Macworld.com that I want to talk to you about because you're the iTunes guy. Yeah. I need to get t-shirts saying I'm the iTunes guy. Okay. And I'd I like to have Macworld to make them for me. Well, there are places where you can design the logo. If you give them a logo, you go to one of these special stores that sets up swag for a company. For example, like, we have... Like, yeah, cafe press, things like that. Problem is, we couldn't like make a t-shirt that we'd give out that had the iTunes icon on it. So. That's because Apple will sue you. They would sue the pants. They would sue the t-shirt off me. They would sue the t-shirt. You couldn't sell pants. Now, actually, we use Printfection mm -hmm. for our official Paracast store. So if you go to store.thepowercast.com and you want to see the swag we have, it's Printfection, which gives us a better deal and more variety than cafe okay. press. Okay. And we're not paid for that announcement, by the way. Okay, so iTunes is, according to your big boss over at Macworld, Jason Snell, kind of an application you love to hate. They need to break up the band. It's like the Rolling Stones on their last days, and maybe we ought to get Keith Richards here and Mick Jagger here and Charlie Watts and Ron Wood. Put them in different rooms or something like that. So what is your take about iTunes? Is it the application we love to hate? Um, Gene... Do you think Jason's listening? Oh, I bet he is. Okay. Well, we've discussed this many times. It's a debate that is certainly valid. Personally, I have no problems with iTunes as far as managing media. So managing music and movies and all that sort of stuff. It, we've talked about how complex it is and there's a lot of things to learn. Um, but over the years, I've learned how to use it. Now, I certainly agree 100% with Jason when he talks about syncing in iTunes being a problem. I, I think there are a couple of issues. One is that including this whole syncing engine in iTunes probably somehow gets things mixed up that iTunes is trying to do so many things at once. But even beyond that, it means that for syncing certain things that don't necessarily make sense to sync through iTunes, you're going through this iTunes model. So like you sync photos to an iPod through iTunes, whereas it would make more sense to do it from iPhoto. You sync apps from iTunes, which, okay, it makes sense because you buy them from the iTunes store. But what if the iTunes store were one module and the iTunes syncing engine or just iSync, as it used to be called, were one module and iTunes media management were another? So if you split it up into three parts, you'd have – Three different applications that each has its own particular task, and, and I think G Jason even says in the article, make the store a separate module as well. Um, 
I'll disagree with that for the store because it really does make sense that things go directly from the store into the media management part of iTunes. But then you get the issue of apps. Should they go from the store to iTunes? Should they go from the store to something else? When Apple created iTunes, it was for music. And it, it's been like sedimentary rock with an accretion of other types of media and content. I think it's gotten to the point where for a lot of people, it's just a hassle. Now, to be fair, the syncing issues that Jason talks about are things that I don't really have. Now, I know that Jason and, and other people at Macworld, like Dan Frakes, who has like thousands of apps in his iTunes library, they're often syncing stuff and removing it and putting it back on and stuff like that. I've got, let's see, an iPad, an iPhone, an iPod Touch, a Classic, a Nano, and a Shuffle. So I've got one of each. And, and you I feel really... like you're going to shuffle to try to figure all this out. Well, but I don't get these problems syncing. The only problem I've ever had is sometimes an app that I've moved into a folder will come out of the folder. But I've only got about 50 apps on my devices. And, you know, I, I, I've got a lot of music, but I manage that with playlists and, and, and things. And so I, I don't get this same kind of issue. And I, I think it was Dan Frakes on Twitter who was mentioning at some point the last time he updated whatever and he lost everything and all of his folder structure in particular. You know, you might spend an hour moving apps from folder to folder to get everything organized perfectly and he lost all of that. So there's definitely an issue with syncing and there's definitely an issue with syncing apps. So yeah, I kind of agree with Jason that it would be good to split it, but I'm kind of skeptical about what the best way to split it is. Even if you split the syncing, you're still syncing stuff that's in the music, the media management part of the application. So once you separate those out, it seems to me that you're adding another level of, of confusion. Well, I think that's part of it right there. Now you know if you're going to sync, link, whatever, it all basically goes through iTunes except for iCloud because right. iCloud has a space all by itself. So I guess the question that Apple has to confront here is, if you add too many layers, it may be a problem for the software, but if you provide too many interfaces, it's a problem for the end user. It's a problem for the user who's trying to figure out how do these things fit together. You remember when we were using iSync to sync certain devices. That was a really weird application because it sort of came out of nowhere to sync certain things to certain devices. It synced to non-Apple devices. If you remember, back in the day, I had a Palm Pilot or whatever, and you could use Palm Desktop, but you could also use iSync. And iSync, I don't remember what you could sync to, maybe some cameras even and, and some early mobile phones before the iPhone. But it was a separate application. It was a little application. It can be kind of confusing to have to – you would basically have to go from one application to another because if your media is managed in, let's say, iTunes 1, okay, and you're syncing in iTunes 2, where do you choose what media goes to your device? Do you choose it in iTunes 1, the media management, or do you choose it in iTunes 2, the syncing tool? So you start getting into a whole bunch of issues that are kind of hard for the user to deal with. I think that's part of the reason why iTunes remains integrated, except, of course, for the Mac App Store, which is separate unto itself. But if Apple is going to keep it the way it is, maybe they could do more things in the back end to clean things up. Because I run into syncing problems all the time. I run into syncing problems, for example, with my address book on the iPhone that I normally use, a 4S, and my Mac, they're totally different. I don't know where the <laughs> address book on the iPhone comes from. It might be a remnant of mobile me. You see, yeah. things get yeah. confusing, and Apple needs to clean it up. 
It's not so much having the multiple purposes. Maybe what Apple needs to do is behind the scenes do more to separate them and then still give you the unified interface. Yeah, well, see, we don't know how much it's separated within the application because remember, the application is technically different modules of code. If you're not syncing a device, there's no code that's running to sync. If you're not syncing photos, the, the, the code to choose the photos isn't active. One of the parts of the syncing that is a little confusing is this info tab where you can sync contacts and calendars and email accounts and bookmarks and notes and some other things. As you pointed out, some of this is managed by iCloud. Some of it was managed by MobileMe. It's likely that as MobileMe gets phased out, I think it's June 30th, um, that they may change this, but they still want to give you the option to sync stuff you have locally if you don't want to put it on the cloud. So it's a pretty intractable problem, in my opinion. And we're going to go into more intractable problems. Because just the mere focus of where iTunes now is, where you have problems with syncing, where you have problems where certain features like iTunes Match don't work 100% of the time, and Apple won't even acknowledge that, by the way. You know, I have situations like that. I think iTunes needs some sort of overhaul, and maybe they'll do it. Let's hope they do. We'll have more to say about that and other subjects. Also, that new Mac, is it a virus? Is it a Trojan? We'll figure that out, what flashback means. But I'm having a flashback if I don't do this. We have Kirk McElhern joining Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live. You know, we develop trust in the people we know, but we don't really know someone we can see. That's why I recommend GoToMeeting with HD Faces. It's a simple online meeting service. It's GoToMeeting by Citrix. All it takes is a webcam and a click to instantly collaborate. You can start hosting your own face-to-face online meetings today with GoToMeeting. You can try it free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code PODCAST. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio. DreamHost.com slash radio. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. What if pain could be reduced, ailments could be alleviated, physical and mental stress could be eased, and blood circulation increased, all by simply lying down? Introducing the original Biomat. 
The Biomat is an FDA-registered medical device that combines deep-penetrating infrared space-age technology and revitalizing negative ions with the incredible healing power of amethyst crystals. A Biomat can boost your immune system, relieve pain and stiffness, reduce stress and fatigue, and assist in detoxifying your body. Join the thousands of people reporting relief from chronic pain, fibromyalgia, arthritis, sports injuries, insomnia, and much more. Each Biomat comes with a lifetime trade-in and three-year warranty. Learn more at Bio dash mats.com spelled b-i-o dash m-a-t-s dot com or call 360-944-8692 that's 360-944-8692 visit bio-mats.com today and enhance your life with a biomat that's what it sounds like when a burglar kicks in the door of a dark house that looks like no one is home Don't let your home be the next target. Make it look like someone is home watching television with Fake TV. Fake TV is a small electronic device that makes the same light as a real television. So from outside, it looks like someone is home watching TV. Fake TV plugs in just like a lamp on a timer, but is far more convincing to burglars. Fake TV deters burglars, costs far less than an alarm, and is highly recommended by numerous police departments. Use it anytime you're away from home. To order your Fake TV for only $34.95, go to FakeTV.com. Or call 1-877-5-FAKE-TV. Each additional fake TV is only $29.95. So get one for you and one for a loved one for safety, security, and peace of mind for both of you. Call 877-5-FAKE-TV or go to FakeTV.com. FakeTV.com, the burglar deterrent. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. We have Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy for Macworld. Also, he does Mac OS X hints also for Macworld. We're focusing on iTunes and the future of iTunes. And as I said, I run into sync problems. I have problems with iTunes in terms of iTunes match. And I guess the larger question, Kirk, is, is the end of mobile me and the expansion of iCloud going to give Apple the chance to clean up the mess. It's not so much whether it needs to be separated or this, that, and the other thing. It is to to clean up the problems. I said I don't have problems syncing with iTunes, but I do have problems with iCloud. I can't ever sync my bookmarks from my desktop Mac, which is a Mac Mini, to my laptop or to my iOS devices. It simply doesn't work. I have to delete all the bookmarks in order to get them to sync. I've had incredible problems with contacts when I'd make changes on one device and try and get them into another. And again, what I've ended up doing in most cases is simply just deleted the contacts rather than try and get them to sync because it just doesn't work. One of my friends is Joe Kissel, who's been on the show, who wrote a book about iCloud. And we had a long email exchange about a month ago when I was trying to resolve problems with contacts. I eventually think it got solved for the most part, but every once in a while I see stuff that doesn't get updated. Syncing all over is a problem. And it's not just Apple. I mean, I've seen this with other programs and other devices going through mobile me or going through iCloud. One thing that seems to work for iCloud is files. So if you have a text editor on your Mac and on your iOS device, and it's the same, and they'll sync with iCloud, the files tend to work. In other words, you 
save a file on the one, it gets saved to iCloud, you open it on the other, and it's okay. And that I've never had a problem with yet. The real problem is actually data on a, a granular level and not on the file level. Let me tell you um, a problem I'm having right this second to show right you how second, spontaneous this show is right now. Okay, I opened a dress book on my Mac. We're running, of course, the latest version of Lion. 10.7.3. There's actually a 10.7.4 rumored, but we'll get into that. What I did is I opened it up and found many of my listings were there twice. Oh, God. And I yep. delete one of them. And it deletes all of them. No, it comes back. Ah, okay. One thing that I've found is that some of my contacts have multiple email addresses. And it would be like there's maybe a half a dozen email addresses that get repeated in tons of different contacts. And if I delete them, they come back. I haven't had the duplicate contact issue. I've just had these email addresses that end up all over the place. Well, of course, we're talking about the ghost of Apple's address book. And maybe that should be a discussion for the other show, the Paracast, because it's about Indeed. UFOs Indeed. and stuff. It so is a specter. The specter of syncing. So we have iCloud, we have iTunes, we have this mess that's going on. Apple needs to clean this up. I don't know that the solution of breaking up the band is the way to solve it. I think the solution is simply to go into each problem, hammer away at each problem, and fix it. I think if you start having too many applications, you just confuse people. Like iSync. iSync, you sync, who knows what iSync is? Fortunately, we don't have that anymore because even, even under Snow Leopard, it was still there because some things still used it. I don't know what still used it, but it was actually still there. The only time I would ever open it would be to go in and to like reset all the syncing because the only way you could reset, I guess it was mobile me syncing, was through that particular, through iSync and the preferences or something like that. I don't see why syncing is so difficult. I really don't. I mean, it's data. It's, it's bits of data. What do they call them? Blobs when they're talking about databases. So you break down your data into discrete bits. You've got in your contacts, you've got a name, an email address, a telephone number. These are all labeled bits of data. They're not hard to sync, but then you get the issues of which is the latest one and which do you replace and all that. And I guess that's where it gets more complicated in terms of syncing data, not, not on the same subject as syncing iTunes to an iPhone or something where it's just copying the data over and, and essentially replicating what you've selected on iTunes. Let's see what happens after Mobile Me vanishes in July, and let's keep exploring. Yeah, I, I think we're going to see a couple of things. I think first, when Mobile Me finishes, we're going to see some changes to iCloud, but also when 10.8 comes out, I think iCloud's really going to reach its sort of peak of usability. At least I hope so. Maybe Jason Snow is right. We should break up the band. I don't think so. I think a unified interface and to bury the complexities from the end user is the best way to go. But as it is, things are broken. Let's go to something else that might be broken. We have the reports, of course, about a Mac problem, and we're going to have to define our terms here. It's called flashback. And flashback is a Trojan horse, a virus, malware. What is it? Before we even worry about what the problem is and what maybe to do about it. The question is, how do we define it? Now, one site I'm looking at calls it malware. What do you call it? Okay, you, you need to go from, let's see, the general to the particular. Malware is anything that is malicious software. And malware is a, a sort of compacted, a portmanteau word, as they would say, of malicious software. Malware includes viruses, Trojan horses, it can also include spam when spam has attachments. It can include macroviruses in a Word or Excel document. 
It can include key loggers or back doors or any of a number of other types of categories. So you start with malware at the top level. Everything under that has a different name. And there are two ways to describe malware. One is by the way it's delivered, and the other is by the way it functions. The word that most people know about is a Trojan horse. And if you know your history, the Trojan horse was that gift that whoever the Greeks gave to the Trojans or the Trojans gave to the Greeks. See, I don't know my history. And, well, there were some soldiers hidden inside. And, of course, back then no one told you not to open attachments, so they opened it and boom, it was over. A Trojan horse is a delivery method, and a Trojan horse is a type of malware that pretends to be something. So let's say you download an application that you think is... I don't know, something's going to make pretty sounds, and you double-click it, and in the meanwhile, um, the code behind it is installing something on your computer. Now, other types of delivery uh, methods are things like drive-by downloads, and that's what this flashback is today. You go to a website, and something loads, and you don't even know that something gets downloaded and installed. Then you go to categories of malware by what they do. So you have things like spyware, which basically records keystrokes or screen captures, backdoors, which opens a sort what's called a port on a computer, a network port, um, which lets malicious users remotely access your Mac. You've got a number of different types of, of malware like that. Now, none of these are viruses. None of them. A virus is a very specific type of malware that can automatically replicate. You remember back in the day, you'd put a floppy into a Mac? There was a virus called the WDEF virus. I have to tell you, this goes back to like 1990 or 91. And even it came, a little bit later, under, even up to OS 9. Right. It was around, but this is when we first found out about it. And it would impact something called a desktop file on a Mac. Right. And what was interesting is how widespread it was. I remember one particular week, and we had a virus protection product from Symantec, as a matter of fact. And we probably saw 50 or 75% of all the floppies we got from clients infected. Yeah, because it would spread from a computer to a floppy and from a floppy to a computer. Um, Now, we don't have any viruses in the wild that affect Mac OS X. We'll get into more of viruses, malware, what the heck are they? With Kirk McElhern, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com 
Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. That bears repeating. Digestive health is the key to wellness and elimination of toxins. And Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse is the key to digestive health. Pro-EM-1 is a powerful liquid probiotic, strong enough to cleanse, gentle enough to use every day. Pro-EM-1 is dairy, wheat, and soy-free, contains all natural and certified organic ingredients, contains no preservatives or animal products, supports a healthy digestive and immune system, supports weight loss, improves absorption of food nutrients, aids in controlling yeast infections, is never freeze-dried, and uses three groups of live, viable, beneficial microbes to cleanse and remove toxins. Order Pro-EM-1 Daily Probiotic Cleanse at Terraganics.com, spelled T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com, Terraganics.com. Or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Pro-EM1, the raw probiotic. So you're a maker of something. Woodcrafts, fishing lures, glass designs, jewelry, purses, perfumes, goat's milk soap. Whatever it is, you made it here in America. Now you're eager for people to buy your products right here locally instead of buying competing products made on the other side of the world, right? Then you need to check out localmakers.com. Support America. Buy and sell locally at localmakers.com. Doesn't matter if you're a home-based business or a major manufacturer. Localmakers.com offers an easy way to connect with customers within your local community as well as across the U.S. simply by entering a zip code. And there's no cost to join. So if you're a maker who needs buyers, go to localmakers.com and stock your products on one of our shelves. Localmakers.com. Promoting, preserving, and supporting your neighbor's manufacturing businesses. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next. We have Kirk McElhern, author and the iTunes guy from Macworld. We're looking at viruses, we're looking at flashback which is a mac malware infection that supposedly has infected up to 600,000 mac systems but now kirk McElhern has been defining our terms and we got yeah. into viruses and we were talking about a desktop virus for macs it goes back to the old mac os dating back as far as like 1990 called wdef yeah, we don't currently have any viruses that affect Mac OS X. Nevertheless, you're going to see in the mainstream media the term 
virus. Um, I saw a headline last week about the flashback Trojan virus. Now, that's interesting because I just defined what a Trojan horse is. Um, flashback originally, when it was discovered in September, was a Trojan horse. The delivery method changed, but the code that's underneath that gets installed stayed the same. So the, the, the security companies have used the same name, Flashback. But it's not a Trojan, and there's no such thing as a Trojan virus. That's never existed. What Flashback is, as I said, it's a drive-by download. You go to a website. If you have Java installed, if it's not up to date, there's a chance that this can install if you go to an infected website. Now, you may not – there may be no user interaction. Apparently um, – in some cases, you'll get a password dialog, and even if you don't enter the password, it still installs, but it depends on whether it installs with administrative permissions or not, whether you enter the password. Um, but this is the first malware that we've had for Mac, which can really install itself without the user being involved directly. We, we talked about Mac Defender last year, which was discovered around May, and it, was, it lasted several months, this fake antivirus. And this was a Trojan horse, and people would actually double-click something and put a password in and install it, and then they would see this antivirus that would display and say, oh, you're infected, pay to clean up your Mac. Flashback is not like that. It'll install on its own, Again, under certain conditions, you have to have Java installed, which not everyone has, etc. Now, as you said, 600,000 Macs have been infected. Um, two security companies, both of them Russian, Dr. Webb and Kaspersky, set up what are called sinkholes. Basically, they intercept network traffic. I'm not sure how Dr. Webb did it, but Kaspersky actually found one of the domain names that this malware was using as command and control servers. So these are the ones that the malware will connect to to look for commands. And they registered this domain, and they were able to basically track the number of Macs that were connecting to it on a given day. And so both of these companies came up with figures around 600 to 650,000. It seems that these are reliable figures. And as, let's see, it might have been Ed Bond on ZDNet pointed out, this is 1% of all Macs that are infected, 1% of all Macs that are currently being used. This is as bad in terms of percentages as some of the worst Windows viruses. It's actually higher than some of the worst. Than the, w one article I said talked about the Conficker worm, which is the last real Windows – it wasn't a virus. It was a worm. There's a technical difference. Um, that was less than 1% of Windows PCs. Now, of course, there are 10 times, 20 times as many PCs, so you know the number is higher. But in terms of percentage, this is, this is huge. This is so big that even someone who's generally been skeptical about malware, John Gruber on his blog Daring Fireball, actually used the word epidemic to talk about this. Um, if you read some of the press, you'll see that there's a realization that Macs are actively being targeted. Um, and, and the first example, again, was last year with the Mac Defender fake antivirus. And now we're seeing this. Macs are not immune from malware any more than Windows PCs are. Um, this week, there was an interesting article on Macworld UK saying something to the effect that the real problem is user education. People need to learn about safe computing. Um, Mac users who haven't faced these issues in the past aren't like Windows users who, I guess, not all of them, but an awful lot more of them know that you don't click on links and spam, you don't open attachments, you do have antivirus software, um, and, you know, you, you just you're so used to being attacked that you have to develop a certain number of techniques and, and a bit more wariness about what you do on the internet. Well, I think that's, of course, the big problem. 
that we have here that Mac users have been lulled into a sense of security and they don't know about being careful. I mean, there's obviously Apple has released a new version of Java, which is now no longer, by the way, being put together by Apple. It's being done by Oracle. So they got the release in February. Apple took till April to post this release, which supposedly fixes the problem. There's another thing you can do, and I only see this option in Safari, which is... You can turn off Java, yeah. Right, but this is under security preferences in Safari. But understand, we're not talking about JavaScript. No. JavaScript totally is a way where you get instant display of pop-up menus and little things in sites that make for fancy, quick display of features. It has yeah. nothing to do with Java in that sense. There is a separate option under web content, Enable Java. And in terms of web apps, Java's not used that much anyway, so you lose nothing by turning That's that off. That's not true. That's not true. It isn't? That's not true. That's what Rich Mogul said. Well, in fact, when you think about it, uh, did Rich mention that if you run Adobe Creative Suite, you're probably using Java? I'm talking about the web browser. Oh, in the, on the web browser. If you work in business and you get um, presentations via WebEx or GoToMeeting or any of those services, you need Java for them. All of these meeting things where you get like a shared screen, and you know, you and I, we both get them from, from PR people and stuff. You have to have Java for that. Um, if you're but running. That runs within the browser. Yeah, but this is how this malware is getting through. It's a Java applet that loads in a web page, um, takes advantage of a vulnerability, what's called a buffer overflow, and then is able to install code onto your computer. This is through the browser. This isn't, you know, so if you have, if you need Java, you have Java installed. Now, if you turn it off in the browser, that's one thing. Um, but if you need to use it, a lot of business people that use these uh, meeting tools, they're going to need to use it. They're going to need to have it on in their browser. All right. So maybe what he said there is not as applicable as he thought. Well, it depends on what sort of, I was going to say what sort of world, what sort of sector you're working in. Um, again, a lot of business people, I mean, I get presentations and have meetings using these tools that use Java. Um, I happen to use a Java program regularly. I play Go, and there's a Go server um, called KGS that has a Java client because it's cross-platform, so the developer doesn't have to make clients for different, um, for different operating systems. And online chat rooms. For online chat rooms? For there are services. They, like, for example, we were thinking of having a chat room for our other show, The Powercast, it would run in Java as an applet in our browser. A friend of mine, I go on a show quite regularly, Craig Crossman from the Computer America Radio Show. He's a nighttime technology show, five days a week. He has a chat room. How's the chat room work? It runs a Java applet within your browser. So if you turn off Java, you can't get into his chat room. M most of these chat rooms are either Java or Flash. And Flash has just as many vulnerabilities. They haven't been exploited yet on the Mac for malware, but they are on the PC. Um, so both of these are risky. Now, I just need to say one thing because you said before that you can turn off Java in Safari. You can turn it off in Firefox, but it's actually very hard to find. Um, if you're using Firefox, you go to the Tools menu and select Add-ons. Then you click on Plugins, and then you'll see something marked Java Applet Plugin. And you can click on the Disable button to deactivate it there. And right, and when you do it, maybe you read instructions, suddenly you go to a site which needs it, and you want the feature that's offered by Java, suddenly you have to figure out, where did I turn that thing off? 
Exactly. It's not, it's not in a good location. It's not easy to find. When you go to a site and you don't have Java on and you need it, you'll see this little steaming coffee cup icon. And that'll alert you to the fact that you need it to run something. I always love that steaming cup of coffee, the beginning in the morning. I just dig it. But I think the next question we should focus on in the next segment of the show is Apple's response and whether Apple has responded in a prompt fashion and maybe because of the nature and the scope of this particular infection, maybe they should be doing more, be more proactive about catching these things before they get out of hand. I think 600,000 is something that got out of hand. We have Kirk McElhern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. In an emergency situation, would you drink contaminated water? You could if you had the amazing Life Straw from MyPatriotSupply.com. Life Straw is the most advanced personal water filter available today. It filters contaminated water from almost any source. Life Straw is lightweight and compact, perfect for hiking, camping, or in an emergency like a flood. Life Straw is easy to clean, comes with a one-year warranty, and has been used worldwide since 2005. Get the amazing Life Straw personal water filter at MyPatriotSupply.com. Plus, check out Survival Seed Vault, 20 seed varieties for only $37.95, Tatler canning lids, long-term storable foods as low as $69.95, and much more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Enjoy stress-free shipping on all orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927 or visit MyPatriotSupply.com. That's 866-229-0927, MyPatriotSupply.com. For emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Four, five, six, even seven dollars a gallon? According to fuel industry insiders and economic experts, those are the forecasted fuel prices. With no end in sight. Fight back fuel prices with a fuel saver from airfusionsystems.com. These fuel savers can save you from 20 to 40 percent. They're designed to fit any vehicle from compacts to SUVs to transport trucks. The fuel saver works on all gas, diesel, even propane engines. Easy do-it-yourself installation in about 15 minutes. And the best part? No engine modifications, no computer chipping, no running wires, no chemicals, no water, no running costs, and no maintenance. And these fuel savers come complete with all parts and accessories. See how it works at airfusionsystems.com, spelled A-I-R-F-U-S-I-O-N, systems.com. Or call 888-887-9981, 888-887-9981. 
fuel savers from airfusionsystems.com. Save fuel, save money, save Earth. What is the most abundant resource on Earth? Water. It's essential for sustaining life, but it's not always the most available. When disaster strikes, water quickly vanishes from store shelves, like it did during 9-11, Katrina, Japan, and in Joplin. Three days without water and your body begins to shut down. Don't risk being without an abundant supply of water when the next disaster hits. Get a FlowJack hand well pump. The affordable FlowJack drops right into almost any well and is easy to install without having to remove the existing pump, giving you immediate access to plenty of cool, clean water. You could risk your family's health on a limited supply of stored water, or you could be prepared with the reliable, affordable FlowJack backup hand pump kit for only $3.99 complete. See how it works at FlowJack.com, spelled F-L-O-J-A-K.com. Be sure to spell F-L-O-J-A-K.com. Ojak.com or call 855-4-FLOJAK. 855-4-FLOJAK. That's 855-435-6525. Proudly made in America. Flojack hand well pumps. Peace of mind in a box. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. With Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy and also a security expert on the Tech Night How Live, we're focusing on the flashback malware outbreak on the Mac. Now, there are different ways to protect yourself. One is you have some free utilities that will check for the infection and help you get rid of it. Also, the newest version of Java for Lion and for Snow Leopard from Apple also fixes the problem. OpenDNS, which is a company that provides like an intermediary DNS instead of the one you get from your ISP. They replace it with high security. They filter flashback. If you go to opendns.com, you learn how to set it up on your Mac, your PC, your router, whatever. It's another way of doing it. I guess the question here is, Oracle fixed Java in February. Apple released the security update for Java in April. Shouldn't Apple be moving faster? Yeah, this this is an issue. You, you know the you remember the commercial I'm a Mac, I'm a PC, Macs don't get viruses, PCs do. This has been part of Apple's marketing and for the most part it's true. But now that we're seeing these attacks, Apple is sort of pretending they're not happening. And they're doing this they're doing several things that are well odd. As you say, the getting this Java update out, they didn't get it out until all of a sudden there was publicity about this vulnerability being exploited. Um, this week, they also tried – I mentioned earlier this Russian company, Dr. Webb, which was the first one to basically get numbers on how many Macs were infected. And Dr. Webb did this by using what's called a sinkhole, setting up a domain to trap traffic. And Apple tried to contact their – I guess their ISP to shut down the domain. Now – this sort of activity that Dr. Webb did apparently is very common in the Windows world in order to get statistics and information about botnets. But Apple's first reaction was to try and shut it down so no one can give numbers about this rather than you know, coming out and saying, we've got a real issue and we've got to do something about it. So shouldn't Apple be trying to shut down the sites 
that send these. They can't. You can't do that. Work. It's like it's like stamping out cockroaches. You can't do that. They move from site to site. It's a very complex process. One thing that's very interesting about this particular malware, this this flashback, and the later variants of it. So I said earlier, it started as a Trojan horse, and then it changed, and now it's it's a drive-by download getting through Java. This particular malware will look for uh, any of a list of programs, and these include things like. Um, Little Snitch, which is a reverse firewall, um, Intego Virus Barrier, which is an antivirus, Clam AV, which is an antivirus, a bunch of other antivirus programs, and for some reason, Xcode. And if these programs are installed, in other words, if it finds them in the applications folder, the installer will quit and it will not install. Now, the reason what would make sense to me is the only reason they're doing this is so they don't get detected because if, if someone has antivirus software, they're eventually going to detect the malware and maybe they figure it's better to not be detected um, and to go under the radar than to be detected and to be removed. Now, why they would include Xcode, the only logic for that is they're thinking that people who have Xcode know how to look at logs and run terminal commands? I don't know. Um, but even if you just simply have these programs installed, this malware won't infect you. Now, this doesn't mean that this will happen in a later variant or anything like that. But currently, um, all of the variants that have gone through Java have looked for this list of about a dozen different programs and simply will not install if, if any of these programs are present. Now, Apple also designed something at the time that Mac Defender came out. This was an expansion of something that had already been part of Mac OS X, Snow Leopard, and of course, Lion, and that is some kind of internal malware detection. And every so often they update the strings behind the scenes. But there was no way for them to update that to detect the existence of Flashback? This is something that's colloquially called xprotect because the file that keeps the signatures for the malware is, is called xprotect.plist. Um, this is part of Apple's quarantine system. Now, the quarantine system is something you see when you download a file and you go to open it. You double-click it, and you get a little warning that says you downloaded this from the Internet. Are you sure you want to open it? Um, this quarantine system has been around for years, and they grafted on this this malware detection system with some basic signatures. Now, what this does is this will flag programs that you download with Safari, um, that you get by mail or iChat, or that you download with certain other programs. However, it cannot do the same thing for objects that load in a web page. Can you imagine if every time you loaded a graphic on a web page, you had to click OK to allow that graphic to display? It can't. It simply can't because it's just counterproductive. People would click all the time. So anything that comes in a web page, and this includes something that comes through Java, this includes something that might come through Flash. If the people behind this malware evolve it to take advantage of a Flash vulnerability now that the Java vulnerability is patched. So this XProtect system and Apple's Gatekeeper, um, which is they've announced as part of Mountain Lion, can have absolutely no effect on anything that comes in through the browser, unless it's a file that you explicitly download. So now they see Java doesn't work, we'll try Flash. And, of course, then we have the argument about Adobe. Will Adobe get the message and fix Flash in time? Well, Adobe is constantly fixing Flash. And on, on the Windows side, the number of zero-day vulnerabilities, in other words, what, what that means is vulnerabilities that are found and exploited before the security companies spot them and can block them and before Adobe can, can make an update. Um, there are tons of zero-day vulnerabilities in things like Flash as well as Adobe Reader, so via PDFs. Um, interestingly, the biggest problems on Macs for malware is not 
the operating system itself. It's the third-party software. In, in these cases, Java and Flash, we're talking about browser plugins. Um, something like a PDF reader, if you use Adobe Reader rather than Preview, and, and it's much more common on, on Windows to use Adobe Reader, whereas you know on the Mac we have Preview that's built in. These are ways that malware can get through. Uh, on the Mac side also, there was malware a couple weeks ago that got in through Word documents. Um, taking advantage of a vulnerability in Word, and you'd double-click a document, you'd see what looked like text, but once you did that, some code would install, um, and you wouldn't see anything. Nothing would happen. So the real issue is third-party software much more than Apple software, much more than Mac OS X. I guess the question should be here, maybe Apple needs to do more to make people understand this, because Apple doesn't say don't use virus detection software. They don't deny there is that threat. Right. And even the item in the Mac versus PC commercial, the item was about on Windows, there are over 100,000 viruses, but not on the Mac, which is basically saying, no, we don't have 100,000 viruses on the Mac, but one can be too much. Well, but this is also playing with the misunderstanding of the terminology that we discussed earlier. The general public thinks that anything that, that people in the industry call malware is a virus. So you could say that there are really no viruses for Mac, even though apparently there are two that are just not widespread at all. Um, but it's not viruses we're worried about. It's malware. It's Trojan horses. It's drive-by downloads. It's all sorts of other things. The virus itself, there haven't been any real serious viruses on Windows in a long time. Most Windows malware is um, either infect infected files, so you get a an attachment that when you launch it, um, something happens, like I talked about Word or, or PDF files. Um, Drive-by downloads, Java, Flash, things like that. Or social engineering, Trojan horses, things you download, you get tricked into launching. Um, viruses are not actually a current issue for Windows. Hey there, I want to ask you one final question about this entire subject. And that is, what do Mac users do now to work um, this out? Well, there are a couple of things to do. First of all, if you don't use job, well, if you're running Lion, you should know whether you have Java or not. Um, Java is not delivered with Lion. The only way you would have it is if you needed it at some point, you get a dialog, kind of like when you put a new printer on, um, we'll, we'll download the driver if you want, and then you install it. Um, to know if you have Java, you need to look in the Java preferences in the applications slash utilities folder. In other um, words, you have to go through a little bit of work. This it's is not, not easy. something you no, just not know. Well, right. the other question is, how do you protect yourself? Well, the first thing to do is turn off, if you don't need Java, turn it off in your browser. Um, you said earlier it's in the security preferences in Safari. Um, I explained earlier in Firefox, you have to go to add-ons um, and look for it there. So turn it off because the way this is coming in is through the browser. It's not coming in by email, although that's not impossible, um, but it's currently coming in through the browser. So if you don't need Java, turn it off. If you do need Java, um, you should really start thinking about antivirus software. And that's something we have to explore in a larger way. But there are companies that provide free and paid antivirus tools, and maybe now we have to start thinking about them. Where do we find more of the stuff from Kirk McElhern? Well, you go to McElhern.com and you can read my blog. You go to Macworld and you can see all sorts of stuff. And you go to Mac OS 10 Hints where I am the editor-in-chief or whatever you want to call me. And you can see what I write there as well. 
Kirk McElhern, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you, Gene. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We welcome to the Tech Night Owl Live a new friend of the show, Michael Cohen. He works with Tidbits and Take Control Books. He's edited and written lots and lots of books. So we'll be talking about a whole range of subjects that primarily impact Apple. But the most significant subject is that Apple must be feeling like Microsoft this week, Michael, because (laughs) of the fact that the Department of Justice is after them. What's going on? Well, actually, the Department of Justice is after Apple and a group of other large publishers who they claim have colluded with Apple to fix prices, as opposed to Amazon, which was fixing their own prices. (laughs) So they didn't sue Amazon yet? No, 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 no. Amazon is the... uh, I guess, the the plaintiff in this whole business. So Amazon is going after Apple and these other companies through the Department of Justice. Interesting. That's that's kind of how it works out, yeah. It's because Amazon would sell books below cost uh, to increase their market share, and the publishers could see the writing on the wall. And so they were looking for a way, you know, to reserve some control over their own pricing. And they came up with the agency model, and the Department of Justice is claiming they colluded on this, which is illegal. So the agency model, now, when I think of agency model, I think of, like, representatives for authors, you know, agency, a literary agency or something. But we're talking here about a way books are priced to explain what the agency model means. I'm not sure I completely understand the agency model. And maybe model, they don't either, but that's the problem. Yeah, it's basically uh, what they're saying is that uh, the publishers are saying that we get to set the price on our books and nobody can undercut us. So it's I'm kind of sure. like a price fixing. It's like you right. set a minimum floor for pricing. That is correct. So it's like having a fixed price then, sure. In fact, uh, the statement from uh, Eric Holder says, we allege that these publishers agreed to impose a new model which would enable them to seize pricing authority from bookstores, that they entered into agreements to pay Apple a 30% commission on books sold through its bookstore, and that they promised through contracts, including most favored nation provisions, that no other ebook retailer would set a lower price. That don't sound good. No. 
On the other hand, it doesn't sound good when you have a public uh, uh, an outlet like Amazon, which buys the books and sells them at a loss in order to increase their market share, driving out bookstores and other outlets. Uh, and then in addition, begins to set themselves up as a publisher and begin to poach authors away from other publishers. So they're doing a land grab on publishing themselves, but that's not seen as a monopolistic activity by the it's, department. It's not monopolistic because there are other competitors and they are not dominant in the sense they have 90% of the market. Well, it's it's hard to say uh, because Amazon doesn't really release how much of a market share they have in eBooks or in Kindles or anything else. Is there any way to infer that from their financials? Uh, they don't really say. They don't really say. They just say, we, 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 we sell a lot. But they don't give you hard figures. That's and, nice. And you'd That's have nice. to take them to court and sue them in order to get those hard figures. And I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't go much deeper into it than that. But quite frankly, it's the way I see it is we've got Bookasaurus versus Bookadon and the small publishers, the small booksellers, and the writers, and the buying public are the little mammals cowering in the foliage while these big behemoths battle each other out. Now, if I come out with my own ebook and I'm mm -hmm. selling it through Apple, through mm -hmm. iBooks, does that mean I have to settle with their price structure, or can I price it any way I want? Uh, it depends. Again, uh, th these are deals that they've got with uh, the big publishers. I don't know how it would work for an independent publisher. I don't know how it would look for the small aggregators who sell through iBookstore. I've never had to do that. Certainly, I know that the Take Control books can sell at whatever price they sell for when they go through the iBookstore. Um, and I don't know. I'd have to ask Adam if, in fact, we have to sell it from our site at the same price that iBookstore sells it at. Now, here's the story in the New York Times where they're quoting the publishers saying that they tried to engage in a settlement with the Department of Justice, but their demands were too onerous, according to a chief executive from Macmillan. Now, I uh, used to write books for Macmillan, so you know I kind of know this company. Yeah. Would that be uh, John Sargent? Yes. Yeah, right. Again, I'm... <laughs> I'm sort of on the fence about all of this because, you know, I've seen the small publishers disappear over time as the large multinational publishers have taken the publishing business over. There's only like four or five big publishers now. That's it. Every other imprint that you see is probably owned by one of the big publishing houses. So we already have a monopolistic situation, both in terms of publishers and in terms of distributors. Okay, so after this investigation, say the, they're going after them, they're suing Apple and the publishers. So what do they say? They say you can't set this price. You can they, they basically I'm want sure. to give Amazon the ability to sell at whatever price they want to sell it, even if they're selling it at a loss. So the point is here to benefit Amazon, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. So if Amazon decides to sell my book at a loss, it means I lose money if I'm a yeah. publisher. Okay. Yes. Yes, the publishers did not like that, and the bookstores did not like that, and the book distributors did not like that. Well, one would think then the bookstores and book distributors would sue Amazon, or maybe I'm getting this all mixed up. Well, they probably could, except that how, how could they? They, they, have to have, they actually have to have enough of a case to make. Predatory pricing I don't think is illegal in the United States. It is illegal in certain countries. But I don't think undercutting the competition is illegal here. So undercutting and putting people out of business is fine. But if a group of people together decide they're going to set 
a floor for pricing, that's bad. If they, de- yeah, if they collude to do that, if they independently decide to do that, no problem. But as soon as they talk to each other, as right. soon as the Dons say, okay, or excuse me, <gasps> we're going to set this price at twelve ninety nine. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, Amazon pretty much had it their own way as far as ebooks were concerned until uh, Apple entered into the business. And that's where this all comes from. There was no competition for Kindle. But the point in the end is with this lawsuit, they're going to have to give this up, I guess. Uh, yeah. They may, in fact, have. It's a long way to go. They've just filed the suit now, and this is not a criminal suit. This is a civil suit. So it can always be negotiated. There can always be settlements involved. Um, I'm interested to see how it all plays out, but I have a feeling that no matter how it turns out, the losers are going to be the small publishers, the writers, and the buying public. Because. Eventually, if some one distributor gets a huge lock on the ebook business, and don't forget, you're not just selling ebooks, but you're selling ebooks that are proprietary in format and protected by digital rights management. So you cannot take your Kindle book and play it on anything but a Kindle or something supplied by Amazon. That's it. But Apple, on the other hand, is using a more generic format. They're using uh, the EPUB format, but a- Apple too is imposing digital rights management. So if you buy a book from the iBookstore, you can't load it into any other ebook reader. So I could play it on a Mac. I could play it on a PC if iBooks were available, but it's not. I could play right. it on my iPad. I could play it on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. Right. But the basic fundamental format of the book, though, is generic. I mean, it could yes, be the, sent the to any e-publishing outlet it's just that the one that apple sells you is protected but then i guess in a sense you want your book protected because if it's copied and given away it's kind of like the digital music business that's true except that you know that's i don't think it's the pirates that have really hurt the music publishing business in fact there's a lot of evidence that indicates that a certain amount of piracy actually helps get the word out about albums and increase the sales that the more strict crackdowns have actually hurt the music industry more than piracy has. Can we say the same for ebooks? I think that, in fact, might be the case. Uh, J.K. Rowling, you know, sort of sidestepped Amazon in a very interesting way. She sells her books kind of through Amazon, but it actually takes you on a link to her own site. So she's selling the books herself. She's, of course, the creator of the Harry Potter series. That's exactly right. You can find us, by the way, on Twitter, where we are Tech Night Owl. That's Tech Night Owl on Twitter. We have Michael Cohen from Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, 
The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Good day, Peter Crouch novel from Midas Resources. Today is April 13th, 2012. Gold opened this morning at 1672. A one ounce gold coin can be purchased for 171360, 856.80 for a half ounce, and 428.40 for a quarter ounce. 171360, 856.80, and 428.40. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? Wait a sec. Gold and silver is going up while Congress is trying to settle on the next debt increase. And there's no end to this madness. That old 401k and IRA can be converted into physical gold without tax consequences. I explain this in my book, 10 Reasons to Buy Gold. Don't let time slip away. Call for your free copy today, 800-686-2237. Get away from that Washington spin and get honest answers about gold. 800-686-2237. The book is free, 800-686-2237. Would it save you time to get the best quality water filters and the best quality storable foods from one company? You bet it would, and now you can at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Big Berkey water filter products and great-tasting, long-lasting, storable, wise foods are both now available on one website, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Wise foods, ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches and come with a 25-year shelf life. Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. Combine Berkey water filters with wise foods for an unbeatable preparedness combination. Get free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-BERKEY. Or go to BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Do you know which 37 crucial food items are going to fly off the shelves when the next disaster hits? If you don't, you and your family may be without food and waiting in long food lines after a big disaster strikes. You would be surprised how many people don't have these food items right now. 123survivalplan.com has set up a For Patriots Only video with inside information on the 37 food items that will sell out first when the next disaster strikes. The video on 123survivalplan.com has crucial information you and your family need to prepare for any disaster, natural or man-made. And you won't have to be afraid of going hungry or being sent to a FEMA refugee camp. See the video that over one million other smart patriots have already seen in the last four months. Prepare now. Go to 123survivalplan.com and learn which 37 food items you should hoard. Easy to remember. 123survivalplan.com Again, that's 123survivalplan.com We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
We have Michael Cohen of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. And we're talking about the U.S. Department of Justice going after Apple and the major book publishers because of collusion to set so-called agency model prices. And we're talking about someone who's an exception to this because she's worth billions or something like that. J.K. Rowling, the creator of Harry Potter. She sells the books herself. From her own site called Pottermore, and she sells them in both Kindle and EPUB formats, and she does not put copy protection on them. You can copy her books from one device to another with no problem. There's no digital rights management. Instead, what she does, or what her company does, is put a digital signature in the book when you buy it. So if you give that book to someone else, they can find out that it came from you. But it's not protected in any other way. All right, they find out it came from you. Will they come to you and say, you have no right to do this? Well, under copyright law, you probably have the right to loan it to friends. You don't have the right to take her books and then redistribute it en masse to uh, 5,000 of your closest friends for a fee. So shouldn't the answer be here with ebooks is that it's just like the songs you now buy from iTunes. There's no longer digital rights protection on it. That would be wonderful. One of the big problems, and in fact, I wrote an editorial in Tidbits just last week about this, is that copy protection actually impedes the use of the text itself for both books and textbooks. When you take a protected book in the iBooks, or in the Kindle Reader for that matter, and you select some text, there is no copy command. You cannot quote from a book. If you're a student writing a paper, you cannot quote from a book. You have to put your device to one side, get a different device to write your paper on, and then, as though it were a hard copy book, copy by hand anything you want to quote. Got to keep that keyboard busy. There's no longer a copy command in the protected thing. Of course, you know, you can protect a website too that way, so you can't yeah. copy it. Yes, but you know, that's really kind of hobbles the book and makes it actually less useful than, you know, a, a printed book. Especially for research. Absolutely for research. Uh, it, it's a terrible thing. And the textbooks, I've been working on this book about iBooks author that will be coming out in a couple of weeks. And one thing I discovered that even in a unprotected iBooks author book, the copy command is missing. These are textbooks meant to be used. And they've thrown roadblocks in the way of anybody who's an active reader who likes to mark up the text. You can annotate your book just fine, but if you export your annotations, it doesn't bring the context with it. It only shows you what your notes were, but it doesn't show you the text to which your notes were attached. There's no hyperlinking. There is no hyperlinking. At most, you'll get a page number or a chapter number. That's ludicrous. Is that a concession to the publishers? Absolutely. So the book publishers are being like the music companies. Absolutely. Protecting their monopoly keeping it more difficult for mm -hmm. people to deal with ebooks and that's the other thing too it looks like nowadays ebooks are outselling regular printed books aren't they i'm not sure if that's the case but they're getting close if they aren't already surpassing print books so those who do research i mean if you just read a book who cares but mm -hmm. if you're doing research as many of us do in writing books or articles they're making it difficult for those people believing that somehow putting all these restrictions will keep people from pirating those books and stealing money from the publishers. Of course, Which, yeah, and the fact of the matter is if you're going to pirate a book by copying text and pasting it into a new document, you have to do it page by page by page. In most e-readers, you can't select across page boundaries in an e-book. And you may as well just get the hard copy book, you know, photocopy it, and then do OCR on it. Would be I mean, a lot easier. 
Or in fact, you know, put the ebook on your screen, take a screenshot and OCR from that. I mean, if you wanted to pirate, the point is, you know, that it's, it's a false protection. It's protection theater. And the only people who suffer are the honest people. The pirates already know how to break copy protection. If I want to rip the protection off of a Kindle book, there are tools that I can get that will do that and unprotect it. There are tools that can actually unprotect Apple's fair play now. They didn't used to be, but now you can unprotect Apple's fair play books as well. So if you're a pirate, there's nothing to stop you from pirating the books. What this does is impact those people who are honest and want to use the books as they're meant to be used. Isn't that the way it almost always works, though? Sure. It's what they call in the airport's security theater. It's much like that. It's, you know, copy protection theater, copyright theater. Only the innocent need suffer. But, of course, the Department of Justice doesn't care about that. They only care about alleged price fixing. That's right. They're looking at a very specific part of the law that has to do with collusion. And that, in fact, you know, is a real issue. If the publishers all did get together and decide en masse to say, we're going to fix our prices, that is a real problem. It's a real problem just as though uh, if every fast food place decided to set the price of hamburgers at a specific price. (laughs) Competition does that, though. Competition does that, but if they decide deliberately to set a price, that's something else entirely. That's price fixing. Sure. And that's what I think the DOJ is going after. But they haven't gone after the strong-arm tactics that Amazon has played in driving the prices down to begin with, below a sustainable model for the publishing industry. And then Amazon turns around and begins to sign authors on their own and become their own publishing house, thus completely doing an end run around the publishing business. It may very well be we'll end up in a world where there's only one e-publisher, and it's Amazon, and every author and every reader has to dance to their tune. That would be a very ugly situation. Let me read you a paragraph from the New York Times story about the lawsuit. Sure. Okay. Since the agency model was put in place in 2010, Amazon has steadily lost market share in e-books, going from close to 90% to about 60%. Barnes & Noble has gained a bigger share of the market, more than 25%. So in this, it looks like Apple's a small player. Mm Mm-hmm. And the fact is, this is one of those post hoc ergo propter hoc arguments, after the fact, therefore because of the fact. It's not just the agency model, but you finally had other vendors developing their own ebook readers and their own outlets. At the time the agency model was put in place, the iBook store was just beginning. There was no nook, there was nothing else. So, of course, Amazon had the biggest share of all because there was no competition. It's not necessarily the agency model that opened things up. It was the fact of having different outlets open things up and the fact that the prices were pretty much in line from outlet to outlet. Now, according to another story from Reuters, the two publishing holdouts against the settlement were Pearson and McMillan Mm -hmm. and also, of course, Apple. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, Simon & Schuster, part of CBS, HarperCollins, Lagadier... Hatchet Book Company, of course, were inclined to settle. But unless Pearson, McMillan, and Apple go along with it, well, it doesn't happen. Right. But again, this is the first day of the suit, and there's still a lot of jockeying for position to be done. I have no idea how this will all turn out. I assume there has to be a settlement. Once the Department of Justice commits itself... Mm-hmm. To something of this, they're going to go through with it. So the point now, and no doubt this was the reason, is to force 
the remaining companies to agree to some kind of settlement or reach some kind of compromise between where they are now and where they could have been. Who knows? We have Michael Cohen from Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Say, wouldn't it be great if that computer keyboard sitting on your desk also worked with your iPhone? Sending a text message would be lightning fast. This is exactly the idea behind the Matthias One keyboard for iPhone and Mac. You just need to experience it once to see how incredibly fast and convenient it really is. It's also available for the PC and BlackBerry. Visit onekeyboard.com slash TNO. Once again, onekeyboard.com slash TNO. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. You may snicker when you hear this message, but you won't laugh after you experience the best-kept health secret ever, camel milk. Camel milk is loaded with health benefits far superior to other milk. Camel milk has antibacterial, antiviral, and anti-tumor properties, is rich in B vitamins, and camel milk is three times higher in vitamin C than cow's milk and ten times higher in iron. And camel milk contains 52 units of insulin-like proteins per liter, effectively lowering blood sugar levels. Many of our members testified that drinking camel milk reversed diabetes and greatly improved autism. Camel milk is easily digested by those who are lactose and beta casein intolerant and comes fresh or frozen from your trusted local family farm shipped on dry ice to preserve freshness. Go to CamelMilkForSale.com now and look under Products and Pricing for the spring special with free bonus pints. That's CamelMilkForSale.com, CamelMilkForSale.com. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics, life's getting better. So you're a maker of something. Woodcrafts, fishing lures, glass designs, jewelry, purses, perfumes, goat's milk soap. Whatever it is, you made it here in America. Now you're eager for people to buy your products right here locally. Instead of buying competing products made on the other side of the world, right? Then you need to check out localmakers.com. Support America. 
buy and sell locally at localmakers.com. Doesn't matter if you're a home-based business or a major manufacturer, localmakers.com offers an easy way to connect with customers within your local community as well as across the U.S. simply by entering a zip code. And there's no cost to join. So if you're a maker who needs buyers, go to localmakers.com and stock your products on one of our shelves. Localmakers.com, promoting, preserving, and supporting your neighbor's manufacturing businesses. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Joining us for the first time on the Tech Night Out Live, Michael Cohen of Tidbits and Take Control Books, where he's author, editor, wears many hats, but Tanya Inks and Adam Inks do not ask him to sweep the floors yet. <laughs> it would be hard because I'm 3,000 miles away from uh, Command Central for Take Control. Which, of course, is one reason why you're not. <laughs> they don't have virtual brooms yet, but they will. Right. Well, they also have a 13-year-old boy who can sweep the floors for them, so... There is that. There's so many things you can ask of a 13-year-old boy, and certainly if it's a family-run business, insists that they sweep the floors. Unfortunately, my son is twice 13, so <laughs> he's a little too old and doesn't live here anymore, so we can't ask him to sweep the floors and vacuum, but he'll be back here in the summer for a visit, so that's what we'll do. You're doing a book on the iBooks author, and... I'm interested in this because I thought of the iPad when it first came out as the ultimate replacement for the physical textbooks. I don't know if it's a complete replacement, but it's a pretty darn good one, especially if you've got a backpack filled with traditional textbooks, which are hardbound, often on rather heavy paper. They're backbreakers of books. So, you know, if you're carrying all your textbooks on a one-pound device, that's certainly a lot better just for the student's health. And even though the new iPad weighs 50 grams more than the iPad 2, which I guess we call now the old iPad, <laughs> it's still pretty light. You know, I can't tell the difference, by the way. If I hold one in one hand and the other in the other hand, cheaper, that's cheaper, that's cheaper, they cheaper, they cheaper, they do cheaper, they do cheaper, they do have, 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 they do have. But it's really not much of a difference. It's certainly, you know, what, two less than two ounces, so... Yes, 50 That's, grams, yeah. So Okay, but looking at the iBooks author, uh, this is the tool that Apple provides to make textbooks, basically. That's correct. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it is very exquisitely tuned to make textbooks. If you're looking at it, you know, to make your great multimedia novel, it may not be the best choice for you because it really is designed to do textbooky type things. It's designed to give you glossaries. It's designed to give you study questions. It's designed to give you interactive pictures where you can drag labels onto things. But it isn't designed, you know, to create open-ended multimedia experiences. It's designed to create textbooks. Aside from those big companies like HarperCollins and Macmillan, all the big publishers who bring out textbooks and probably will use this tool, who else will use it? A college professor, a teacher who wants to create custom text material? Yes, I can very much see that being the case. There was a time in my life when I was a computer support specialist for the humanities division at UCLA. So I worked with a lot of professors and instructors on developing computer-based 
instructional materials. And I can definitely see this having a big place in the colleges, junior colleges, and even in high schools. Uh, a, a committed teacher with a, an interesting idea can very easily whip together a very respectable-looking e-textbook or e-pamphlet. It doesn't have to be a full-length textbook, by the way, and develop very customized uh, study materials for his or her classes. It's yeah. a marvelous thing, and I can, I can teach almost any teacher who's not afraid of computers to use this. It's not hard. Does it have to be sold through Apple, or can they distribute it directly? It has to be sold through Apple, but it can, it can be given away anywhere. Ah. That, that's the deal that Apple has imposed, that if you're going to sell an iBooks book, an iBooks author book, it must be sold through Apple. Apple gets their 30%, and they've set a ceiling price on the books of fourteen ninety nine. The agency model. Mm-hmm. So what now, happens if you have to have a 700-page textbook? Well... Is that possible with that price model, or do they have to divide the textbook into several different parts? Well, it, it depends on how they make their money. Uh, and textbook publishers usually make their money. They don't sell them onesie-twosies. They get commitments by whole school districts. The whole idea of volume, volume, volume is a big deal in textbook publishers. It's selling 10000 not three or four. Right. Books, textbooks are not sold. They're adopted. They're adopted by a class or by a school or by a school district. Textbooks are usually not sold individually to students who are going into a class unless it's been adopted by that class and it's sold in a college or school bookstore. So therefore, does Apple have a special area for the educational division? They, they have a couple sure. of places. Right sure. from the iBookstore, they can sell it directly from the iBookstore. They mark them as uh, multi-touch books. That's what they call them. But they also can be made available through their iTunes U, which is uh, sort of like the iTunes store for education. And they've opened up a whole K-12 through branch of iTunes U. And any accredited educational institution can post materials online, either locked down for just their classes or open up for anybody who wants to go there and use it. Multiple ways of distribution. Okay. And I guess the big question here would be one that maybe you can't answer. Are teachers these days, with schools cutting back on budgets and restricting salary growth, even inclined to want to use custom materials, not just the canned material, the canned textbooks? Some are, some aren't. Certainly there are going to be teachers who just don't want to do anything new and have so much on their plates that they can't even think about doing any extra enrichment because it's really hard to be a teacher. It's a huge amount of work and the pay is not great. That whole idea of, oh, you only teach from you know nine to three, you get two months off in the summer. Easy job. It isn't. Trust me, it isn't. They forget the having to take the work home and mark up the grades for uh, the, the students having to prepare lesson material during the summer, doing research, and be going on a research trip to help get them maybe into a higher grade or college professor there, or something. Certification programs you have to do periodically, all sorts of other curricular meetings you have. It's not just, you know, a 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., five days a week job from September through June. It really isn't. Teaching is hard work, especially in, in front of a class with 20 or 30 students or more who are at widely different levels of development, <laughs> yeah, it's hard work. I've done enough of it in my life to know that it's underpaid and overworked being a teacher. Okay, so we look at this as, as they say, a partial replacement for textbooks. Is it because then the various school systems would have to think, okay, we may save on the textbooks 
but we're going to have to buy the iPads for all the students. That's true, though their deals can be worked out. I can see it being especially useful in more wealthy school districts, in private schools, universities and colleges, uh, in large school districts like, oh, the Los Angeles Unified School District. I, I live in the L.A. area. I'm not sure that they would be first in line to adopt because they have problems of their own big time. But I can see it happening in other places as well. And, and interesting thing about teachers, even those who are overworked and underpaid, there are some who will still go the extra mile to make the classroom a good place for their kids and who will engage in that effort just because that's what they do. They're teachers first and employees of the school district second. It's their calling. Exactly. You don't become a teacher to make the big bucks. Not really. <laughs> So, yeah. do, but of course, the other thing here is that Apple now has the iPad, too, which can serve just as well for school systems. That's cheaper. They do have bulk sales, as we know. So, of course, Apple is selling the iPad, too, for three ninety nine. If school systems buy 10,000 of them, they'll pay a lot less. Add that to the cost of the textbooks. Maybe it will become affordable for smaller school systems or those without the big bucks. It's getting into that realm, especially because textbooks, paper textbooks, tend to sell for more than fourteen ninety nine a copy. A lot more. Yeah. I have a, a book called The Riverside Shakespeare that I had as an undergraduate at UCLA. And at the time I bought it, which was in the late 70s, it was a complete works of William Shakespeare, beautifully done, and it was, oh, maybe $20, $25. Now that book, I think, is well over $100. So now, if imagine, I can get that for fourteen ninety nine, I would be happy. <laughs> Very it's much so. That's certainly one argument right there. And also think about the medical expenses in treating your kids from backaches. We have Michael Cohen, who never gets a backache, or maybe he does, <laughs> because he's all digital these days, from Take Control Books and Tidbits. You can find us, by the way, on Twitter, where we are Tech Night Owl. That's Tech Night Owl on Twitter. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. What is the most abundant resource on Earth? Water. It's essential for sustaining life. 
but it's not always the most available. When disaster strikes, water quickly vanishes from store shelves, like it did during 9-11, Katrina, Japan, and in Joplin. Three days without water and your body begins to shut down. Don't risk being without an abundant supply of water when the next disaster hits. Get a FlowJack hand well pump. The affordable FlowJack drops right into almost any well and is easy to install without having to remove the existing pump, giving you immediate access to plenty of cool, clean water. You could risk your family's health on a limited supply of stored water, or you could be prepared with the reliable, affordable FlowJack backup hand pump kit for only $3.99 complete. See how it works at FlowJack.com, spelled F-L-O-J-A-K.com. Be sure to spell F-L-O-J-A-K.com or call 855-4-FLOJACK, 855-4-FLOJACK. That's 855-435-6525. Proudly made in America. FlowJack hand well pumps. Peace of mind in a box. Four, five, six, even seven dollars a gallon? According to fuel industry insiders and economic experts, those are the forecasted fuel prices with no end in sight. Fight back fuel prices with a fuel saver from airfusionsystems.com. These fuel savers can save you from 20 to 40 percent. They're designed to fit any vehicle from compacts to SUVs to transport trucks. The fuel saver works on all gas, diesel, even propane engines. Easy do-it-yourself installation in about 15 minutes. And the best part? No engine modifications, no computer chipping, no running wires, no chemicals, no water, no running costs, and no maintenance. And these fuel savers come complete with all parts and accessories. See how it works at airfusionsystems.com, spelled A-I-R-F-U-S-I-O-N systems.com. Or call 888-887-9981, 888-887-9981. Fuel savers from airfusionsystems.com. Save fuel, save money, save earth. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Michael Cohen of Tidbits and Take Control Books. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. We're discussing the possible replacement of those huge backpacks with an iPad and all the textbooks with 1.3 pounds weight or whatever the iPad weighs these days. You're about to say, Michael. It's not just a one-for-one replacement for the physical paper book because you can do things in an e-book that you really can't do quite so easily in a print book. If you have a huge number of pictures, for example, to illustrate a particular point, in a print book you have to have space on the page for all of those pictures. In the ebook, you can have what's called a picture gallery where you can just leaf through the pictures and a little block 
on the same page that the text that describes all those pictures lives without having to take up extra pages for it. You can have interactive video. You can have 3D models. You can have anything that you can do as a dashboard widget on your Mac can be embedded in an ebook with iBooks author. So you can have some very interesting interactive experiences. So it's not just a one-for-one replacement. It can be, but it needn't be. What about updating? Can you update one of those ebooks in a way that reflects new information, or do you have to keep buying new versions? Well, that, I think, is, is a publisher question more than a, a technology question. A publisher could very well strike a deal with the school district to buy X number of copies of edition number one and then periodic updates until a new edition comes out for a price. So that's certainly one way they could approach it. You don't have to hu- do a huge print run. And you don't have to deal with warehousing all of the old textbooks that are suddenly obsolete because it's just bits on a disk. So they can come up with some very interesting models for updating textbooks and keeping them current. There's nothing to stop them. But that really is a commercial business decision. But it's certainly one way of keeping textbooks current. Absolutely. And you don't have to worry about turning in the textbooks at the end of the year and maybe getting a few dollars a piece or as a lot of students have to do in advanced education in colleges, instead of buying new textbooks, you buy used textbooks. Mm -hmm. Of course, that doesn't help the publisher because you're not getting the money, and it doesn't help the authors and are not getting their royalties. Right. It changes things, and it changes things in all sorts of ways, both obvious and subtle. We're not going to see how it all plays out for at least five to ten years because the market is evolving, the use of them is evolving, the technology we use to create them is evolving. And schools themselves are evolving. All I can say is what we're seeing today is not where we're going to be seeing five to ten years down the road. Some things will be very familiar and some things will be, oh my gosh, I didn't think of that. Do you have any thoughts, having been through the educational field yourself, as to what is missing from my book's author at this point? Well, other than, of course, being able to select and copy (laughs) the text. (laughs) Well, that is certainly a big one. Offhand, I'd say it's – I see very little advantage to the paper book over the ebook for most instructional purposes, except, of course, you know, that the ebook readers are more fragile than a textbook. A student can fling, you know, a paper textbook across the room and it will still be readable. You fling your iPad across the room, not so much. It's a shattered mess. That's right. And, you know, kids are uh, little pockets of entropy and chaos, <laughs> And, you know, they're, they're not necessarily very kind to fragile devices. So if they were to distribute iPads, of course, the parents would have to take responsibility to repair or replace them. Mm-hmm. But also, they would have to take the responsibility to maybe have a case on it. But then they distribute notebooks in some schools, notebook mm-hmm. computers, and certainly they're pretty fragile. Mm-hmm. Yes, it just means there has to be an extra layer of control and support and provision made for damages that aren't necessarily going to be the case with physical print books. And maybe then there's more of an impetus there to start with higher education, start mm-hmm. with high school students, then get to the lower grades. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, Pat the Bunny or uh, the old, old Dick and Jane readers necessarily benefit from being presented interactively. But I think you can do a lot more interesting things with developmental readers at a very early age with interactive texts. You know, marrying sound and words, printed words together to help students learn how to read and to pronounce. There's great benefits to be seen there, but there's also the cost of developing that software and disseminating it to those students who are very young and (laughs) not necessarily kind to the equipment. 
But well, I kids can, these it's, days have smartphones. Who knows anymore? Well, exactly. Well, some kids do, some don't. You know, I, it's hard to make blanket judgments like that because every child is a precious, unique snowflake, unlike any other child. Well, my precious, unique snowflake wasn't too bad. Once he got into his teens, he wasn't very destructive on his gear. And he's had a 2008 black MacBook that has had repairs. I mean, everything's been replaced on it, but not because he dropped it. I mean, I've well, seen it. It's in perfectly good shape. It's just that everything broke inside because it was defective. <laughs> well, when I, was, when I was a young sprout, it wasn't so much that I would drop things to break them. But I tended to take things apart to see how they worked. Yes, I feel your pain. <laughs> and you can't really do that No, with Apple's gear. You can't do that with an iPad. No, they, they look it up online. They Google it. Mm -hmm. They do, these days. Who knows what they'll be looking it up in five years from now. So five years from now, we think the backpacks are gone. They may be. But again, you know, it all depends on how well-funded school districts are, whether teachers and school districts are willing to adopt e-books. There's a lot to be said, you know, for uh, the traditional print models. Books, traditional print books, like I said, are not quite indestructible, but much closer to it than technology. You can take them anywhere. You can use them when the power goes out. You can read them in the bathtub <laughs> or at the beach. And I, I don't care how good e-ink is. I'm not going to take, you know, a several hundred dollar device out to the beach and let sand get in it. You only see that on the Amazon commercials. You know, see those Amazon commercials are out at the beach. They're sitting there reading their e-book, and the argument being that e-ink is a better choice in sunlight than a traditional iPad or a regular LCD-based tablet. Yes. On the other hand, salt spray and sand, not so much. <laughs> Some of those commercials are just downright dumb. But Well, you know. yeah. I mean, I just saw the new ones for the Lumia 900, the Nokia telephone that uses Windows Phone. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, the first group are defective already. They're giving people $100 <laughs> rebates because the things won't get online or something. Forgetting that defect. Right. I mean, this is something where you're betting the whole company on this product and you have this serious defect. Even Apple <laughs> never had anything that bad. But, okay, the commercials are just plain dumb for that. Right. Typical but of Microsoft commercials. But, you know, all com you know, so many commercials are like that. You know, this, this product will make your hair shiny and more manageable, and you'll get all the dates you ever wanted. That doesn't turn out to be the case, and my hair isn't shiny and more manageable. And I've used that shampoo. You have. <laughs> yes, I have. And, you know, hasn't changed my life as remarkably as it does in the commercials. I am so surprised. Right. You should file a lawsuit. Go to the Department of Justice. Eric Holder <laughs> can use another lawsuit to file. You know, ring him up. Hey, Eric. <laughs> I got a deal for you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, <laughs> there's advertising and then there's reality. And the two are only touching just barely at the edges. I kind of prefer, though, the Apple touchy-feely kind of ads because they show a reality. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a smoothed-over reality. I mean, Siri is not that responsive to me when I talk to it as it is on those commercials, but it's close enough. Mm-hmm. That's certainly true, and they're not really going all out to make the claim that it's the best thing ever. They just imply that it's the best thing ever. Well, that retina display on the new iPad. I love it. You do. And it doesn't get hot for you, does it? No, it doesn't. I really haven't seen any heat problems reading an e-book on the uh, new iPad that I've seen on the older iPad. If there's a temperature difference, it's a couple of degrees at best. 
But you're not playing high-energy games on it. No, I'm not playing high-energy games. But even in those cases where people were, it doesn't get above the temperature of a lukewarm cup of tea. So if, if it's running hotter than the older iPad, it's still not going to, like, burn your hands. That was one of those fake crises. Yes. And I blame Consumer Reports for doing some of it, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, Consumer Reports, you know, is... They're competing in their own way. They're competing for eyeballs like everybody else in the Internet world is. And how you do that is by making you know outrageous statements so people will come to your site. To see that it wasn't so outrageous. Oh, by the way, we still give it a top review. Mm -hmm. But they never evaluate the operating system, just the touch capability on these tablets. Now, don't get me started. Michael <laughs> Cohen, where do we find more of your stuff? Uh, well, I've got a couple of books out from Peach Pit. Um, the iPad Projects book, the iPad 2 Projects book are the most recent ones I've done. Uh, there's Take Control books. I've written a number of them, including most recently Take Control of Text Expander and Take Control of PDF Pen. And soon to be coming out, maybe within a three or four weeks, Take Control of iBooks Author. And if you go to tidbits.com, it leads you to all these things. The tidbits.com or takecontrolbooks.com. I'll go for both. Michael Cohen, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. You're welcome. It's been fun. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the People grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So Dan Frakes at Macworld Magazine, as I mentioned when I talked to Michael Cohen of Tidbits and Take Control Books in an earlier segment, it seems to me that Apple is almost becoming like Microsoft in the eyes, at least, of the Department of Justice in the U.S. Now they're being sued, along with a number of the big publishers, because of supposed price fixing for e-books. What's your take on that? You know, it's an interesting thing because really, of course, because Apple is Apple and, and, and big and, and popular, uh, the media are all framing this as, the U.S. Department of Justice versus Apple, but but really it's more about publishers versus Amazon. This whole thing came about because Amazon for years was essentially selling books for below cost, right, in order to build their market share. They were selling books that everybody else was selling for 20 bucks for 9.99 or 8.99 or or 6.99 on a sale one day. 
And so the, the publishers got together and said, look, we've, we've got to do something about this because, you know, it's great. Our books are selling, but nobody else can sell them now because people want to buy them on Amazon for dirt. And, and you know, Apple, one of their things was this whole agency model where we say publisher sets the price. This is what everybody sells them for. And, um, you know, and if you want us to carry your books, they did this for iBookstore, right? Apple said, if you want us to carry your book, fine, but you can't sell it to somebody else for less and have them undercut us. So, so there's a little bit of Apple's side in there. But the big thing, I think, was really everybody else versus Amazon. And um, Amazon's been complaining about this for years, that they can't sell books for what they want to, which in Amazon ease means below cost. Well, um, yeah, but isn't that the right of the reseller, they should be able to sell the book for any price they want. They shouldn't have a situation here where the publisher says, this is what you'll sell it for. Then again, when it comes to Max, isn't there some <laughs> right. kind of right. presumed price control? You can only cut the price so far and that's it? Oh, yeah. I mean, this happens in a lot of industries, even though it's, from, as I understand, and I am not a lawyer, of course, but from what I understand, it's fine for a company to say, we have a minimum advertised price. It's not fine for two companies to say we together have minimum price, right? Because so, when two companies talk together, that is a conspiracy. Right. That's collusion. So Apple, of course, has their, you can't, you, this is why you can't find Apple stuff for, for, for a big discount is because Apple says you can't sell it for below this. Uh, and, and in fact, in, in other countries around the world, not in the United States, but in a lot of European countries, for example, uh, they actually have laws against selling stuff below cost. It doesn't matter how cheap you want to sell it. You can't sell it below, you know, whatever this this you know particular cost, like wholesale or or you know whatever the the manufacturer says is is the the lowest price. And so I I think that the thing that really got everyone in trouble in this isn't that there was a minimum price. It's that everybody got together and said let's have a minimum price. So you know that's really what the case is about. Not necessarily Apple being sued, but everybody being sued. Um, I think the difference here is that the key here is that some of the publishers have already settled with the Department of Justice and said, okay, fine, you know, okay, we'll stop. Uh, but others like Macmillan has said, forget it, you know, we're going to do what we want to do. And Apple is, has all, is also in that boat. Apple has refused to settle and is so far, it looks like they're going to say, you know, all right, let's do this and see what happens. Now, there's a story that came out this week, don't know if you saw it. It says that legal experts are claiming that the Justice Department may not have an easy time winning this antitrust lawsuit. Yeah, I, ha I haven't read all the details behind that, but I did see that story. So, uh, but I'm not familiar with what their, their reasoning is. It, it does strike me that if the argument here is Amazon is selling stuff below cost, that the publishers have, a, you know, have somewhat of an argument there, but I don't know all the details beyond that. Well, one of the things cited in the Justice Department's 36-page complaint talks about publishers meeting over breakfast to talk about <laughs> such things. But the point is that Apple wasn't present at these meetings. Right. So, well, therefore, the case against Apple may be less onerous than the case against these other companies. Right. Well, and the Macmillan CEO has said the same thing. He's basically said, look, I don't know what about those other guys, but, you know, I was sitting – he actually had some comment like exactly the time and place. He was like lying in bed awake because he couldn't sleep or something and, and he came up with the idea and said, you know what? We're not going to let people sell for less than this. And so he's claiming that he had nothing to do with any of the other publishers. And so therefore, you know, you can try to nail him on 
not allowing the minimum price, but you can't get them on collusion. This is going to be a wacky story the way it plays <laughs> out. Now, what happens to independent companies who produce their own ebooks? And I'm thinking, of course, of Take Control Books, which is run by Adam and Tanya Inks, and our previous guest works for them, Michael Cohen. And, of course, Macworld. Macworld has ebooks. How does that work for you in terms of pricing? You mean how does how does this case uh, or the agency model and all this stuff? Does this mean that you are forced to charge a specific price? Well, no. I mean, we're not really a big publisher who sells across many different, you know, uh, um, stores. For for example, for the iBook store, we say this is what we want to sell it for, and Apple says, okay, just give us our thirty percent, right? And uh, and, and that's kind of the way self-publishing works on on Kindle platform too. Uh, someone can make an ebook, put it on there, and say, "We want to sell it for this." I, you know, it's only when you get into the bigger contract stuff where Amazon can say, "If you want us to sell your books, we can discount them if we want them." Blah blah blah. Uh, so yeah, we don't we don't have to deal with that. Now understand here, if Amazon is selling them below wholesale cost, what this means is the publisher loses money. And of course, as is usual, the author who lies at the end of the food chain, unless they publish themselves, they lose and they don't get as much in terms of royalties. Well, you know, it's I've written books and um, part of this is why I don't write books anymore. Speaking of the devil, right. That's one of the reasons why I don't write books anymore, because, you know, I'm always getting ripped off. Yeah, I mean, it's I could not. If you gave me a hundred bucks and said, "Explain to me what how books are priced and how much the author gets paid," I could not do it because it's so convoluted. It you know people think, "Oh, you write a book for every copy of the book sold, you get this amount," and it's not like that at all. It's some books are you'll get like some percentage, some books you'll get a different percentage, some books you get absolutely none. I mean, it's just it's crazy. It also crazy. depends on what the reseller pays to get right. the book yep. because Amazon has a preferred rate. Amazon pays a lower price. Therefore, you get a lower price. So if most of your books sold through Amazon as opposed to, say, a retailer like Barnes & Noble, mm -hmm. well, you sell a 1,000 books through Amazon, you get less than a 1,000 books through Barnes & Noble. Or, or 100 books through Barnes & Noble, as it, <laughs> as it may turn out, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a mess. And that's, and that's one of the reasons why so many – one of the reasons why so many um, writers are turning to self-publishing and ebooks and things like that, because, you know, Michael Cohn was on and the Tidbits folks, the Take Control uh, series, which I am um, also involved in, in um, is, I mean, it's it's great for writers because you know going in, this is how much I get per copy, this is how much, you know, I, I have a good idea how much I'm going to make on this book, and if it goes above that, that's it's gravy. Whereas with the traditional book. You know, you're lucky if you ever earn back your advance, and and until you earn back your advance, you can't make royalties or anything beyond that. So, and I learned something else too. Publishers are really good about predicting, especially in assembly line book writing, which is what computer books are, very much so. Mm -hmm. In this kind of writing, they know in advance these big publishers what that book will earn within a very small percentage. Oh yeah, so most of the time that. you'll almost earn out, which is the sales of the book equal the royalties that they advance to you. So therefore, you will never get any more royalties. It will never happen. It will happen very, very rarely. Only a few books will ever earn more than they gave you in the first place. So you have to assume that check is it, folks. You're right, right. And, and it's, it's not very much. 
And it's not very much given the number of hours that you're going to work on this book. So yeah, it's, it, it, there's a good reason, especially in the tech industry where books are, are essentially obsolete the moment they hit the shelves. Uh, there's a good reason why so many people are turning to, to eBooks and online um, publications and things like that, rather than the, you know, the old 700 page computer book. And understand too, that the big writers, the really famous writers, if you're, name is Grisham or Clancy. You know, you know you'll get millions of dollars for every book. Elmore and Leonard, millions of dollars. The rest of us, a few thousand if you're lucky. <laughs> We're lucky to have Dan Frakes on the Tech Night Out Live. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Gold. It's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. How would you like to have normal blood pressure? This is Ernesto from Illinois. I had my doctor's appointment yesterday and I got my labs in. My HDL is 119L and my LDL is 37L. My doctor asked what I was doing to lower it so much, so I told her about HB Extract. Millions of people like Ernesto are suffering from high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, unbalanced cholesterol, irregular heartbeat, and clogged arteries. But now there's an effective, natural, 100% organic nutritional supplement for a healthy heart and circulation. Heart and Body Extract. My blood pressure has not gone past 125 over 80 in almost a month. Experience amazing benefits when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of Heart and Body Extract. She did a double take when she looked at my ER labs. She couldn't believe it. Order at HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's HBExtract.com or call 866-295-5305. Thank you. Heart and Body Extract.
In an emergency situation, would you drink contaminated water? You could if you had the amazing Life Straw from MyPatriotSupply.com. Life Straw is the most advanced personal water filter available today. It filters contaminated water from almost any source. Life Straw is lightweight and compact, perfect for hiking, camping, or in an emergency like a flood. Life Straw is easy to clean, comes with a one-year warranty, and has been used worldwide since 2005. Get the amazing Life Straw personal water filter at MyPatriotSupply.com. Plus, check out Survival Seed Vault, 20 seed varieties for only $37.95, Tatler canning lids, long-term storable foods as low as $69.95, and much more at MyPatriotSupply.com. Enjoy stress-free shipping on all orders over $49. Call 866-229-0927 or visit MyPatriotSupply.com. That's 866-229-0927, MyPatriotSupply.com. For emergency preparedness, self-reliance, and food independence. Welcome back to Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, it's Uncle Gene. Yeah, it's him. Dan Frakes at Macworld joining us. We started out talking about the Department of Justice's antitrust lawsuit against Apple and five major publishers, three of whom have settled, two of whom plus Apple have not Obviously, there are issues involved there. It's not a slam dunk, according to what some people say. So we are going to have to see how that works out and how that impacts the industry. I guess for the consumer, if you pay less for the book, it's good. If you're a publisher and you get less for the book and you're an author and you always get less for the book, Mm -hmm. it's not so good. What are we going to do? There's an article in Macworld.com, kind of a article roughly entitled Break Up the Band with iTunes from your boss, Jason Snell. And I want to ask you about this because according to Kirk McElhern, you own more apps than anybody on the planet. (laughs) I don't know about that. but So you're impacted by all the issues with iTunes. And I know syncing since iCloud came about has been a mess. iTunes in general has been a mess for a few years now. It's just doing too many things. And And that was the point of Jason's article was that iTunes started out as a music player, then it became a, it handled other types of media, it handled video, it got a, a store for buying music, you know, it handled books, it, now it's got a bookstore in there, it handles apps, I mean, I mean it, it pretty much handles anything that touches your phone, or your or iPhone, or your iPad. It's almost like the online version of the Walmart Supercenter. Yeah, it's just, it's got too much in there that it's trying to do. And and as a result, I mean, everybody's got an iTunes story where iTunes just locks up their whole machine for, you know, a few minutes. It's it's a mess trying to figure out how, exactly how and when it's going to do particular things. Uh, and, and Jason's thing is, let's bring iTunes back to what it was, which is a good, solid media player. And let's take the syncing out and do it somewhere else. And and maybe even take the App Store out into something else like, like Apple's done with the Mac App Store, which is that it's just a completely separate you know, entity. Now, uh, theoretically, there was an iSync at one time. There maybe sort of is still where you did your syncing, not so much through iTunes. But maybe the other problem is you may separate the apps, but then you confuse customers because they want to go to one place to do something, but there are five places to do something. So right. does that right. work? Right, and that's and that's I think the challenge Apple has faced is that the more things that have needed to be synced, apps, music, video, um, personal information, contacts, you know, email, the more confusing it is 
to figure out where to do that. And so Apple's, I think, tried to keep everything in iTunes, although now they're moving towards iCloud, where the, the idea is that you don't have to sync everything directly and things just sort of automatically happen. And <laughs> if you're you know, lucky. Right, yeah. And iCloud is having some growing pains. But but I mean I think it's it's the right move in that we've already taken out for most people who have an iCloud account, which is free. We've taken like contacts and, and bookmark syncing and things like that out of iTunes, which was always kind of a kludge before and just made it so that it, it magically happens through iCloud. And provided they can get that working reliably, I mean, I think that's the way to go. That's the way, you know, Google's phones that started out from the, from the get-go, right? They've never needed anything on your computer. You basically just turn them on, put in your, your, your account information, and everything it just syncs. To some extent, I think that's the way Apple has to go with some of this stuff. But um, I also think that there's always going to be a place for iTunes or something like it, simply because there's stuff that you want on your computer, you know, for example, all your music and media. You know, it's very interesting. As we talk, and I mentioned this to Kirk McElhern before because he's the iTunes guy over there at Macworld, and that is with contacts, it's a mess. In such a mess that, for example, I'm looking at my address book right now, and this is the latest version of OS 10, 10.7.3. There may be a later maintenance update in the wild. We can't mention that officially. But what I see is a lot of listings are there twice. And sometimes, sometimes, when I remove them, they come back. The interesting thing here is It's the ghost of Christmas past. Well, what I find interesting is that iCloud... And this is totally anecdotal, but from talking to a lot of people, iCloud seems to nail everybody with at least one issue, but it's not the same for everybody. For me, contact syncing has been perfect. Calendar syncing has been pretty much pretty good. I've had a couple issues. Bookmark syncing does not work at all for me. But I've heard from tons of people where bookmarks work perfectly, but like you, they get double and triple contacts in their address book. And for other people, they wind up with two copies of every event in their calendar. So I wish there was a magical explanation that would that would tell us why it happens for some people and not others in address book and other people have trouble with calendars. But um, I don't know of too many people who've had no problems. So I guess that's the one common denominator. I know the one problem I was having with iTunes Match, and this is one you probably know about where you rip an album off a CD. Apple has the same album in the iTunes store. So theoretically, when you use iTunes Match, it will be matched. Except one or more tracks from that album will be uploaded because it can't be matched. Yeah. And Apple has no explanation. I mean, you ask tech support, and finally the people in iTunes said, we're not going to bother with you. (laughs) They don't ask us anymore, almost in those words. Yeah, it, it happens quite often. Although overall, iTunes Match, you know, I've had some complaints about it, but overall, it's worked pretty well for me. And it's, it's um, even when it has issues like that, there are issues that it handles by, for example, just uploading the tracks it couldn't match for you. Uh, and so they're still there. Um, the, the apps problems are, have been much bigger for me. And, and like you said, it's probably because I have a lot of apps. Um, I test a lot. Uh, I download a lot of free stuff to try it out. And my the number of apps I have is is just you know unruly. And by so, the way, on his iPad, folks, four thousand pages of apps. <laughs> How many pages can you have? Uh, I think is it eleven? It's nine on the iPhone, I believe. I want to say eleven on the iPad, but I could totally be wrong. So don't you know? I can count as we talk. But the key yeah. is here is that 
you still can only put so many icons right. in that well, page. Yeah, yeah, and, and, I mean, and then, you, of course, you can create folders. Right. And, and, and then you can put stuff in folders. Yeah, in fact, on my iPad, I've really only got three or four pages of apps, but I've got a lot of folders. The bigger issue for me is is managing those in iTunes and picking which ones to sync and things like that. That is a total mess. I mean, you've got one screen with a tiny box, tiny scrolling box, and it's slow. If you want to see you know, more apps, you basically just got to scroll forever. And even things like, so I've downloaded over the last you know couple of years, thousands of apps, right? And I've got all those in iTunes, but they're not all synced because I've tried them out. I've decided I don't like them. And so I just never, I, I unsync them, if you will, from my, my iPhone and my iPad. So at some point, I'd like to go through that list and say, you know what? Let, I'm never, I, don't, I didn't like these. I'm never going to update them. I don't care about them anymore. But who has you know, two days worth of time to scroll through them one by one and say, okay, I didn't like that one. Delete. So but in I, your case, it'd be two months. Yeah. <laughs> Well, however, it's a long time, and it's it's one of those things that could be fixed with a simple checkbox, which is show only apps that are synced to an iPad, to synced to a device, or hide app synced to device. You know, something so that it would be easy to tell. See, because right now the only way you can tell if an app is synced to a device is if you plug in that device and connect it, and then it has a check mark. And so, if I want to see if an app is on any of my devices, I've got to plug each of them in. And check one by one and say, okay, it's not on any, any device. I can delete it. Let's yeah. check this. We have Dan Frakes joining us from Macworld. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? More important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Say, wouldn't it be great if that computer keyboard sitting on your desk also worked with your iPhone? Sending a text message would be lightning fast. This is exactly the idea behind the Matthias One keyboard for iPhone and Mac. You just need to experience it once to see how incredibly fast and convenient it really is. It's also available for the PC and BlackBerry. Visit onekeyboard.com slash TNO. Once again, onekeyboard.com slash T-N-O. If you want to get your website online and you need reliable service, first-class service at the lowest possible price, there's only one place to go. Well, DreamHost has a special promotion with our show where they'll offer you unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, one-click web apps such as WordPress, 24-7 support. You can save over $55. You want to know how? Go to DreamHost.com slash radio, DreamHost.com slash radio. BePrepared.com is making deals in April because you need to be prepared now and you need to save. BePrepared.com is the official site of Emergency Essentials, a 24-year leader in emergency preparedness supplies. Everything from long-term food storage to emergency kits, water storage and filtration to alternative light and heat sources. What's on sale? Now through April 30th, save 28% on a freeze-dried garden vegetable combo, which includes peas, corn, beans, cauliflower, celery, and onions. Save 33% on the Catadine Hiker Micro 
microfilter. New instant white rice as low as $8.49 and a 72-hour MRE food and water supply. A $72 value for only $49.99 and much more at BePrepared.com. Call 800-999-1863 to experience exceptional customer service and our low price guarantee. That's 800-999-1863. Hurry, the BePrepared.com April sale ends April 30th. The choice is clear. Be unprepared or BePrepared.com. Iodine protection packs from HempUSA.org are now in stock for immediate delivery worldwide. Our iodine protection packs include micro plant powder, green life kelp, red palm oil, and our clear roll-on iodine that will feed the body the iodine it needs. All iodine protection packs are in stock, save you money, and ship for free in all 50 states. Visit HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. HempUSA.org has a revolutionary wonder food for detoxing the body and rebuilding the immune system. Microplant powder can help unclog arteries and soften heart valves while removing heavy metals, virus, fungus, bacteria, and parasites. Plus, it cleans and purifies the blood, lungs, stomach, and colon. Keep your body clean with Microplant powder. Visit us at HempUSA.org or call 908-691-2608 today. If you're taking one, two, five, or more nutritional supplements, please stop. Simplify your supplementation with Bio Superfood, the most advanced nutritional whole food supplement you can buy. Men, women, children, even Olympic athletes the world over have discovered Bio Superfood from BioAge.com. And now take just one nutritional supplement instead of many. The Bio Superfood formulas are whole food products composed with four of the most nutrient dense algae found on Earth. Bio Superfood for the brain helps with focus, memory, clarity, and mood. If you can increase brain health, the rest of the body is a no-brainer. Bio Superfood has zero toxicity and is safe for you and your family. Learn more and order your Bio Superfood formulas at BioAge.com. Spelled B-I-O-A-G-E.com. BioAge.com. Or call 877-288-9116. That's 877-288-9116. BioAge, the age of advanced organics. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. We have Dan Frakes at Macworld. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. We have a couple of more segments with him before we send him out with Elvis leaving the building. Believe it or not, we allow him to leave the building sometimes, but then he has to go back to work and do real work rather than goof off with us. So, okay, so organizing apps for someone who's got a lot of apps, and I've got 52 on my iPhone that are theoretically on the iPhone, and I have a bunch of others that I tried, like you do. I try, I see no reason to use them, I stop using them. Whether or not I paid for them is not the question here. It's my money, I could throw it out if I want. But having the time to fix things up, some of us have to work for a living. Some of us have lives at home. We have wives. We have children. And we have to think about that. We don't have time for all this. Apple ought to make things easier. Right. And, and, you know, the interesting thing here is, is that this isn't just for apps, right? It happens for music. You rip tons of stuff and you decide, oh, I, you know, these I never listen to. I want to get rid of them. I mean, for whatever books, 
And the argument I've heard from a lot of people saying is, oh, those are edge cases. You guys just have too much stuff. Kirk gets that a lot when he writes about iTunes. People say, nobody has 30,000 tracks. It's just you, you weirdos out there. But, but the thing is, is that, well, he is a weirdo, but that's another story. <laughs> but we like him. He's a nice weirdo. <laughs> so so Kirk, Kirk's weirdness aside. But the thing is, is that going forward, more and more people are going to be these edge cases or these extreme cases because people just, you know, we're accumulating media. Everybody is. Whether you started with one and now you've got 20 or you started with 10,000, now you've got 20,000. Everybody's getting more media. And I think that iTunes and, and the things that it does don't scale well and they need to scale well going forward, I think is the biggest problem with iTunes. So the question is here, can you make separate apps or do you just have a better way of segmenting the interface and fixing things behind the scenes, especially when you have problems with the address book? And I understand, you know, we're power users, Dan and I and Kirk and Michael Cohen and all the people who come on the show. So we're befuddled sometimes by these problems. Imagine how normal people feel. Normal people just let the duplicates keep piling up because they figure, as long as I type the name into email address, one of them's coming up. And as long as it gets there, I don't care. I mean, th- this is really what a lot of people do, right? A lot of people on their computers, when, even when they see a problem, as long as they can still do what they need to get done, they just, you know, they ignore it. And you know what? Maybe that's a healthy thing to do. And we've all been doing it wrong for, for a long time. Maybe we should just let it go. But that's what happens, you know, and that's why when those of us who help people with their computers and, or, and you know, and, and consultants and people like that, we get to someone's house and they've got 50 copies of every contact. And we're thinking, how could this get this way? But for normal people, they, you know, they're not going to spend the two hours it takes to figure out the problem today like we are. They're going to just keep using it as long as it works. And then when it doesn't work, that's when, you know, it's, it's really bad. Well, let's hope by the time Mobile Me expires this summer, <laughs> Apple will have it together. Right now, in addition to making sync working, fix sync, folks, then fix iTunes Match, and let me use just one Apple ID. Please, Apple. Oh, yeah, merging IDs. They made a little progress on it, but it needs to be something where you can just go in and say, okay, here's my proof that this is me, make this work with this ID. That would be great. You said a little progress in what respect? I, I've heard for that some people have had some results you know, with Apple combining, combining IDs or getting things transferred, but it's been, and, I, and, and this, this is all from memory. And so I could be mis, um, stating exactly the, the conditions, but. Okay. Ladies uh, and gentlemen, if he's wrong, <laughs> send the nasty letters to him, not to me. No, right, not we to, understand. We understand. Just trying to do right. it from memory. Uh, sure. From memory. I, I seem to recall that if, that there've been cases where people have had, um, problems with Apple IDs and they've convinced Apple to, to transfer stuff over to a different Apple ID or, or combine things. But like you said, they need to make it so that there's just a, a process for anybody who has multiple IDs to just go in and combine them and, and use one ID. Because as you said, it's, it's ridiculous that if I go into the Mac App Store app and I update, I'm trying, I click update all, five of the updates will work and like two of the other ones, I'll get an error that says, you have updates in another account. Please sign in with that account. Uh, they're both owned by me. It just so happens that one of them was a test one that I'd used, but I can't get that stuff unless I go log in separately. It's just, it, it's a pain. And that happened to me with the App Store and iTunes too. And it happens with music you've bought from iTunes. It's, you know, if you've got a family where at some point 
people have had different IDs, it's a mess. You know, the one I've heard the most frequently, of course, is is couples where they you know, each had their own ID when they were, you know, courting each other. And now they're married and now they've got half their iTunes in one account and half in the other. And I think another problem is that sometimes you forget your Apple ID. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what this is. What am I going to do? Oh, you know what? I can't deal with this. I'm just, just new- going to. Sure. I'm just going to start a new ID. I was thinking here maybe what we could all do is write Tim Cook and say, Tim, this doesn't work for us. We've got to have a solution. And if 12 million people wrote him, I bet he'll find a solution tomorrow. Yeah, if you could convince everyone to write, to write on, the, on your behalf on that, I would, be, I would be impressed. If I can convince 100 people to write on my recommendation, I'd be impressed. <laughs> you know. But if they all wrote to Tim Cook, I bet something will happen. Yeah. Because it looks like he's the kind of person who cares about things like that and wants to see a solution. Or we write to Jeffrey Robin. He's a vice president over at Apple and works on, you know, iTunes and everything. He's the inventor of iTunes, by the way. Yep. You know, you know bother I, him. I, I, Let's bother Jeff Robin. He's a nice guy. I don't want to bother him. Yeah, it, it is worth noting that Apple has publicly said that they're working on a solution for this. So. Uh, it, they, it was either in an email from Tim Cook or in a tech message or a knowledge base uh, message, but there was a comment from Apple saying that Apple is examining solutions for multiple ID problems. Solution: merge. Read my <laughs> lips. Merge these IDs. Yeah, you have to go through proof and everything. We understand the security aspects of it, but do it. Please do it. Makes it so much better. Oh well. Let's move to some other subjects here because we mentioned briefly the iPad. And you've had a couple of articles here that are important now because millions and millions of people are buying the new iPad, the iPad 3, the iPad 3rd edition, whatever it is. Charging the iPad can be a challenge. Well, it, it, it's it, not it, it you think it was a challenge with the previous ones, this one uses more juice. Right. It's it's always had required more power than well, it's interesting. An iPhone takes more power than an iPod, and an iPad requires more power than an iPhone, and the new iPad requires more power than the first two. So there, there is sort of a, a stepped power requirement here. Um, actually, that, that's probably the bad way to say it, a stepped power requirement. It sounds very technical, but no, uh, there, there is a um, – it requires more power for different devices. And the, well, the, the new point I, is and, here is that the amount – of current needs is more than the normal USB 2.0 port would be expected to deliver. Well, right. That's that's the big thing is that the iPhone uh, re- requires a little more power than a standard USB port to charge at its fastest rate. The iPad requires a lot more. So your iPad, depending on where you plug it in, is going to have problems charging. If you plug it into a low power, an older low power USB port, it won't even charge at all with the screen on. So it'll say not charging on the screen. Now, when you turn it off, uh, turn the screen off and put the iPad to sleep, it actually will charge, but very slowly. So, so that's really the slowest way. And it's going to take a long time, especially with the new iPad, which requires more power than the previous one. Uh, if you were, if you connect it to a higher power USB port, which are rarer, but they're still out there. Most newer Macs have them. 
Um, some powered USB uh, hubs have them, and a few Windows machines, not a lot, a few have them. Then it will charge, uh, that will give you the fastest po- uh, charging for an iPhone, and it will give you faster charging for an iPad, but still not the fastest. Uh, to get. Let's go, go into more recommendations with Dan Frakes on how to charge your iPad, especially the new version, which is very power hungry. I'm hungry for this announcement on the Tech Night Out Live. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack Attack. of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. What is the most abundant resource on Earth? Water. It's essential for sustaining life, but it's not always the most available. When disaster strikes, water quickly vanishes from store shelves, like it did during 9-11, Katrina, Japan, and in Joplin. Three days without water and your body begins to shut down. Don't risk being without an abundant supply of water when the next disaster hits. Get a FlowJack hand well pump. The affordable FlowJack drops right into almost any well and is easy to install without having to remove the existing pump, giving you immediate access to plenty of cool, clean water. You could risk your family's health on a limited supply of stored water, or you could be prepared with the reliable, affordable FlowJack backup hand pump kit for only $3.99 complete. See how it works at FlowJack.com, spelled F-L-O-J-A-K.com. Be sure to spell F-L-O-J-A-K.com. O-J-A-K.com or call 855-4-FLOJACK 855-4-FLOJACK That's 855-435-6525 Proudly made in America FLOJACK hand well pumps Peace of mind in a box Attention, information in this one minute message could save your life Don't wait for the next emergency to happen Act now to be prepared Now, more than ever, civilians and communities must communicate with family, friends, and neighbors in the event of civil unrest, natural disasters, or other emergencies. That's why there's CivilDispatch.com. CivilDispatch.com is a universal system that can be used for a wide array of urgent notification alerts. Weather emergencies, civil unrest, emergency responders, amber alerts, school or business closings, any need-to-know situation. CivilDispatch.com is an emergency dispatch communication system, allowing anyone to quickly and easily Send and instantaneously track emergency email and text alert notifications. CivilDispatch.com gives you the power of enterprise alerting without the enterprise cost. Don't find yourself unprepared. Learn more and become a member at CivilDispatch.com. That's CivilDispatch.com. Civilian Emergency Dispatch System. Peace through preparedness. 
If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Dan Frakes at Macworld Magazine for one more segment. And we're talking about charging considerations, especially for the new iPad because it has a beefier battery because it has components in there that consume more power. The display, high-resolution retina display, it's using a lot more power. What about LTE support on the 4G version? You want the highest, fastest wireless connection. It uses a lot of power. And I'll tell you what I do. Let me tell you before we go on. What I do is I normally charge my iPhone from my desktop Mac. My wife charges the new iPad from the wall socket. Right. In fact, there's one company that makes a switch socket that you can just pull out your current wall socket and has two USB chargers on it. Right. In fact, there are, I think, about four companies that are doing that now. FastMac is one. Uh, Otherworld Computing is another. Right. That's the one we deal with, Mac Sales. Otherworld Computing, that's Larry O'Connor. Right. And Greenworks, I think, is another. I've seen a couple others. It's, It's a great idea. I mean, most people would rather just have a little USB port than have a, a, a power block plugged into their outlet. But, but yeah. Now, now the, the trick here, again, is, as we were discussing before the break, that in order to charge the iPad quickly, it, it's fast charging, which means it'll only charge, it'll charge in, a, in a couple hours, a few hours. You need to have a high-powered USB port, um, but not just a high-powered USB port, an actual USB port that sort of provides the kind of current that an iPad requires, which in Apple parlance is made for iPad approved, but but other vendors uh, will do that without getting that Apple certification. Uh, and if, if you, you get that, Apple certification, you've got to pay Apple. That's the problem. Right. Right. Okay. So I think it's um, what, two. Uh, is it um, five volts, two point one amps, or ten volts, two point one? I don't go buy something based on what I just said because I don't remember off the top of my head exactly what the specs are. But make sure that, that if you go buy a power adapter or power or charger for the iPad that it says on the box um, supports the iPad or iPad fast charging or something to that extent because that means it's going to give you enough power to do a full fast charge of the iPad. So the basic thing also is don't do anything that is power intensive. Just let it charge. Right, don't right. sit it, on it. You know, don't do like Consumer Reports did with their testing of the new iPad, where they played a high energy game while trying to charge the unit, saying, "Well, it won't charge this way." Duh. Right. right. It's like 
trying to fill up your cup of water while you're drinking out of it and then complaining that it won't fill up. The, uh, the, you're right, the new iPad especially, it happened a little bit with the older iPad that if you were doing something that was very demanding, meaning you had the screen on, it was using a processor, uh, you were doing Wi-Fi, that it would charge more slowly than if you just turned it off and let it sit there. With the new iPad, because the processor uses more power, the graphics use more power, it's got a brighter screen, it's got a retina display, uh, it's got LTE. Because of all these things, if you're doing really intensive things while charging Depending on what charger you have, it may actually not add to the charge. You may basically just be holding steady. So if you're trying to actually charge the iPad and get it back up to full full juice, you want to you want to just turn it off and and let it sit there and charge. And this is the result of the fact that it uses more power. This is not something that's a failure to design the product properly. Right. I suppose as technology improves. They will develop high-resolution LCD displays that use less power. And as the technology for LTE improves, they will design chips that use less power, so Apple won't have to put you through this. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's kind of worth noting how this is actually pretty impressive what it is now. I mean, when you consider everything that's going on in that iPad – between the processor and the graphics um, processing and the, and the screen and the, the wireless networking, everything that's going on there, the fact that it is this small and thin and can last for 10 hours is already pretty impressive. So um, I think people have lost a little bit of perspective when they're complaining that they can't charge it fast enough while they're doing all these things. Uh, because I remember you know, power books and laptops 10 years ago that were had batteries three times the size and would last for two hours. Oh, yeah. You're lucky you get two hours out of that. Right, yeah. So now things are slowly getting better, which is good. It really is. Now, there's another piece at Macworld that I wanted to talk about because it's something that I've only seen intermittently because as soon as we got a new iPad in this household, my wife took it and won't let me see it anymore. <laughs> I have to beg her for it. I have to say, oh, can I just use that? I want to write a story about oh when can you give it back to me i wanted to check this site i wanted to check that the screen is phenomenal for reading you know you hear this big deal about e-ink on the amazon kindle now have you had a chance to compare the two oh yeah i've had a kindle for for a while now and i'm a big fan of the kindle i i i think for a dedicated reading device it's it's phenomenal and the the e-ink screen is you know a lot of people who haven't used it, don't really get what all the fuss is about, but essentially it looks like real paper. I mean, that's, that's its allure, right? Is that instead of looking at an LCD or backlit screen, you're looking at paper. The complaint, of course, is that there's no backlighting so that if you want to read at night, you need a, a light just as if you were reading a book. But it's a great screen to read on. And up until the new iPad, if I was just doing book reading at night or you know on a trip uh, i would often turn to the kindle because it's just easy on the eyes it looks like real paper the kindle's lighter and smaller but the new ipad screen is so much better than the old one and so much better than any lcd screen i've ever seen that i've actually i've kind of stopped using the kindle uh the, the new screen is just it doesn't look like ink it doesn't look like paper but it's so clear and the resolution is so good that um you know, it's it's what I turn to for pretty much all my reading now. Uh, and it actually makes my Mac look bad. Well, you have to wonder when Apple might have a retina display on a Mac, but it's going to cost a heck of a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Consider every time you increase, you double the resolution. 
it's four times as many pixels. Right. And realize Apple's paying a fair amount more for the displays on the new iPad. Imagine mm-hmm. what they'd have to pay on a 27-inch iMac. Yeah, but wow, that would look that would look good. I got to say, yeah. The, I mean, the screen is just the clarity on it is is phenomenal. And and if even people that you know, I my, my wife, bless her, uh, pretty much doesn't care about the difference between SD and HD TV. You know, I'll walk into the room and I'll say, "Why are you watching this this on on standard definition? You could just you can watch in HD." And she kind of looks at me and rolls her eyes, like you know. Who cares, right? But get out I, of here. Leave me alone. Right, exactly. I'm you know what? Right. It must be the same thing. My wife and your wife must talk yeah. behind the scenes because I'll go in there and she'll have a standard definition station. And with DirecTV, which is what we use, it will default to the HD version if there is an HD version. Otherwise, it just shows standard definition. It's not like you have two in huh. that particular case. But in this particular instance, she's watching this particular station that's not HD yet. And I said, find the HD version if there is one or another station. No, I want to see the show. Yeah, no, right. I, it, it's not, it just doesn't matter. So the, I, I bring that up because the first time I showed my wife the new iPad, she looked at it and she basically was, was wowed. It, it, it actually made a difference to her and she actually immediately noticed how much better it was and why you might want that, right? And it wasn't just as though, okay, I can see the difference, big deal. It was, I can see the difference. Why does my iPad not have that, right? Buy me a new iPad. And so, right. So it's, I mean, it's noticeably better and it's better in a way that material, uh, well, to to use an inappropriate term, materially improves your, your, your experience because everything looks better. Video looks better. Reading is clear. Um, I mean, just the, the whole thing, even just icons on the screen look better. It just, it's, it's like a completely new machine. I'll and tell you what, my wife had major eye surgery, so I well understand what's going on and how it's improved situation for her. Mm-hmm. Dan Frakes, where do we find more of your stuff? Macworld.com, of course. As simple as that. Find yep. more of our stuff at technightowl.com. That's technightowl.com. On Twitter, we are also technightowl. We have two Twitter accounts to make it easy. There's technightowl for this and... For our other show, The Paracast, about things that go bump in the night, UFOs and stuff, it's The Paracast and also theparacast.com on our website. And by the way, there is a Gene Steinberg on Twitter, but he is not me. (laughs) I don't know why I didn't get that name. I have to talk to him. Maybe we could do some exchanging or I could send the boys after him when the boys are back in town and have them have a conversation with him as to why I can't get the Gene Steinberg name on Twitter. I'm sad about that. We're not sad to have had Dan Frakes on the show this week. Dan, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thank you, Gene. The Tech Night Out Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.